The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joe Rogan. Nice to meet you in person. I've watched many, many of your videos on YouTube, and I really, really enjoy them. That's, that's quite flattering. Well, we share a common interest, uh, this, uh, we, this fascination with ancient civilizations and, and the mysteries that come. The first video I think I saw of you was um, this video of these concentric circles in Africa that are remarkably similar to descriptions of Atlantis. The Rishat structure. Yeah. And then I started reading up on it, and I'm like, this is pretty wild. And then I got into your whole YouTube page, which is called Bright Insight. And uh, it's really excellent. So first, before we can get started, how did you get interested in this subject? Well, going back to the sixth grade, that was when I fell in love get with the Egyptians. Right oh, yeah. Bring that sucker yeah, up to you. There you go. How's that sound? Perfect. I've always had a fascination for the ancients. I, in, growing up in school, most topics bored the hell out of me. In math, I'd be like counting the ceiling tiles more than I'd be counting numbers. And But something like that, you know, the ancients, science, History, I always thought was fun, um, but I never would have thought that I would grow up to find make a career out of it. Like my story is pretty unique in that uh, I made a lot of life changes about five years ago. I was heading down a path. I was really unhappy. I was doing a corporate life, and I was more depressed than I had ever been. And yet, I had all everything in my life. I had a good paycheck, beautiful wife, house everything except for a soul-sucking path of of a career that was going to bring me nothing but misery. What were you doing? Well, I was a fraud investigator for a large retailer, one of the largest. I'll, I'll say it's not Walmart. Actually, okay. I'll say it's Target. Who cares? Oh, Jesus, you're crazy. <laughs> can't believe you're saying it. It was a sweet gig for a while. I was doing, uh, so I had a couple of responsibilities, internal theft and fraud. So I was investigating employees that steal from the company. And then I also managed the team that would bust the shoplifters, external theft and fraud. And that gig was awesome for a few years until – and I'm not talking crap about Target because it's, it's a corporate thing. They're all doing the do more with less philosophy. Through attrition, they get rid of other positions, and then they pass on those responsibilities to you. And then you end up doing less of what you really want to do. For example, what I was good at it was busting people that were stealing from the company, salaried managers, how Just, do they steal? Oh. Like, what's, what's the, the most clever way? Well, so it could be something as simple as stealing cash, but that's like the easiest thing to catch, so that's right. more rare. Uh, some people steal merchandise, so you got to think about it. Like, if you were to take, because we were joking about DVDs earlier, no one's doing them anymore, but when I was last year in 2014, DVD box sets for like television series, those things would go 50, 60 bucks. But if you steal a whole box of them and you sell them on the black market, yeah. And there's no overhead. And right. uh, other things that people do is mark things down. Like, you know, you'll have a TV or patio furniture or something, whatever. You think about it. and And you just mark that stuff down. And, yeah. But it could be something simple stuff. It could be people that are just trying to, I don't know. I mean, you think about it. Like, it's – actually, let me, let me put it like this. And this is for the external – this is the shoplifters. You want to guess what the number one most stolen thing out of – Target is out of anything else. Gum? Mm -mm. No? I'll give you a hint. I would think something you could slip into your pocket. I'll give you a hint. Well, okay. yes. It, it, it's women and something that's just dropping their purse. It's nail polish. Nail polish? More than anything. 
Really? Yeah. So they just walk by and they just go, I can get away with this. Yeah, just grab it. And, and you think... catch them on cameras? Is that how you bust them? Yeah. And so that's the thing a lot of people don't realize. I tell anyone, like, don't steal from Target, man. Like, you, they, you will send your picture to all the other stores and they will memorize your face. So, like, the little how about just stuff... don't steal? Yeah, don't steal. Do the don't right steal. thing. Don't, don't be, be a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, it's like some yeah. people think, well, it's a, it's a, it's a big company and yeah. it's, it's harmless. But I'm like, no, like payroll matters and everything comes down to these fractions of percentages. And this can hurt employees from having hours. Like, well, it's just gross. Like, yeah, it's so you did that. And then you didn't like it. So how'd you get into this this YouTube world of these awesome videos? All right. So I was at Target. I was unhappy. I tried to find another gig. Nothing was panning out. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go back to school and get an MBA, Master's of Business Administration. Even though I wasn't a fan of school, like this will get me that six-figure corporate gig. And I'll be manager. And I was sick and tired of all this bureaucratic, bureaucratic red tape shit of knowing that there's something a company could do better and has to go through so many people and no one listens. I'm like, Christ. So I'm like, well, let me become the decision maker. Let me go get a high-powered job, and and that will satisfy me. But midway through the program, I got real depressed. I was married, and I was like, once I graduated, I was doing some soul searching. We moved to Boise, Idaho for a change, and nothing was panning out for finding a job. And so I was, like I said, depressed, and I was like, fuck this. I'm just going to go become a school teacher. I'll bite the bullet. I don't care about the money anymore. I just want to be happy, and I always thought being a teacher would be fun. But truth be told, I'm like, I'm not doing that for $35,000 a year. Like, that's – you're poor. Teachers, school teachers are are practically at the poverty level. Right. But anyway, so I was like, I'll do that. And then they're like, well, you got to go back to school and get some certs, and it's going to be like another year and a half. I'm like, I'm not going back to school. I just got a master's. And so – I was like, well, I'd heard people were on YouTube and making money. And I'm like, I could teach anything on there. And so I started shotgunning it. I started making videos on all kinds of different topics, all kinds of crazy stuff. Joe, if you saw my earliest stuff, I mean, I've deleted more than half my videos. I was talking all kinds of woo-woo. Well, you had to learn, right? You yeah. have to learn how to do it right. Yeah. But YouTube is YouTube has a lot of dumb shit on it, like undeniably. But you can learn a lot of things on YouTube. There's a lot of like legitimately fascinating information on YouTube and legitimately informative videos. Yeah. So that comes to you. So you start making these videos on ancient civilizations. Those those were the ones that got the most views and it all made sense because it was the most fun topic to make videos on. One, so you were the, the most enthusiastic about it. And, and yeah, and it, it ended up making sense. It worked out that way because even just doing the research wasn't hard because if I'm reading something I'm not interested in, like my brain right. just of goes, course. Me yeah. too. Same thing. And but I'm very, very interested in ancient civilizations, which is why I got into your videos. That's very flattering, Joe. And um, I guess I just want to say it's interesting because, you know, before we hadn't chatted, I was like, which videos had he seen and what stuck out? Um, I've seen quite a few of them. I've seen um, most of your videos on construction methods of Egypt, of the pyramids, and some of uh, the videos on all the other structures that are there. You got to stop messing with that. It's going to fuck with your head. Is it? You're going to keep going up and down and up and down. Well, I know. Yeah, I, I've you're, been you're constantly fidgeting. turning it down. You're fidgeting. Just okay. relax. Okay. Well, I, it, I'm not used to <laughs> hearing myself like this. So Right. Yeah. You get used to it. But it's the best way because it stops us from talking over each other. Right like on. People normally, in normal conversation, they talk over each other all the time. But when you hear both voices at the same time in your ear, you realize how annoying that sounds to people listening. 
I gotcha. Like if you do a podcast with four people, and I've done a bunch of them with four people, it's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> if you don't have headphones on, it's a disaster to listen to. Yeah, I heard uh, your one two weeks ago on Tim Pool with everyone else, Alex Jones and everyone. It was, it was disastrous. Like oh, it was only eight of you. <laughs> it was a disaster. So, what was your first like one that you realized like actually caught on? Like, what was uh, the first subject? It was on Nikola Tesla, oh. and I was talking about his thoughts on intuition and where his inventions came from and how he would just sit around thinking up all of his inventions. It wasn't through tinkering around. He was convinced that there was ideas coming to him from the universe. Yeah. Yeah, he was c- convinced that he was some sort of like a radio yep. for signals, Yep. which I think a lot of people who are very creative, they think that way. A lot of singers will tell you that their songs come from just like they come from the air. You know, some of the best jokes that I've ever written just seems like they've come out of nowhere, which is really confusing because it's like, you know, that's what the concept of the muse is, right? The mm-hmm. concept of the muse is you sit like, uh, have you ever read Stephen Pressfield? Yes. Uh, is that with the- um, The War I, of Art? Yes. Yeah. It's great. I thought it was the resistance, actually. Am I thinking of something else? Yeah. No, Stephen Pressfield, same guy. Okay. Resistance is the thing that he talks about that everybody struggles against. Mm-hmm. This is like the procrastination and that the muse- he treats it as if it's a real thing and that you just need to sit down and then be a professional and like give yourself this amount of time. Like this is when I show up every day and then the muse will meet me there. But if you don't treat it like like you're a professional, you don't respect the muse, it won't show up. Right. And his idea is that this, this is like a real thing that's giving you this data, which is very similar to the way Tesla thought about things. Do you believe that? I don't know. But, you I don't, said, but if you treat it that way, it's real. It's like the my thing. same the same feeling I have about God. Like if you live life like there's a God, if you live life like there's real morals and ethics to the universe, I feel like you can get a better result. And it's not like that you should only be ethical and kind because you feel like there's like a big guy in the sky watching you. But if you do uphold the principles, like the primary principles of Christianity, right? Do unto others as you would have do them to you, you know, treat everyone as if they are your brother or your sister and, you know, love and kindness and that, you know, all these different, very very easy to understand principles of like love and happiness and camaraderie. If you just follow those, they're really beneficial. They really work. Now, does that mean that a guy came back from the dead and walked on water and eh, that seems a little fishy? But if you just follow those principles as if there really is a God, I believe that it's a, a great framework for life. And then I think that you could live a, a better, more fulfilled life if you live like that. I totally agree. And, you know, it makes you wonder, Joe, like, do you ever wonder, like, what is all this about? Life, the universe, like, where did this all come from? Yeah. And the, the very fact that we're sitting here talking about it. So I was thinking not long ago, that's like, okay, let's say Big Bang like the, the creation. And I can wrap my head around an expansion of energy. What I can't wrap my head around is how there was ever nothing and then right. something. And then, so essentially, if the Big Bang happened, as they say, that's essentially an explosion. So like, aren't explosions essentially, that's death. But yet, here we are, we're made out of stardust, right? Like yeah. that's, a, that's science, right? They say we are made of stardust. And yet here we are discussing meaning. So I look at like love, humor, the desire for, or the pleasure of arts, of all things, you know, whether it includes comedy or the, the way we feel when we see nature or a painting or anything else. And yet I think that the meaning 
is the evidence of the divine. And I wouldn't say it as like you're talking about like God, it's like someone in the clouds or whatever, like, you know, going to judge us or something like that. But doesn't that mean that we're the universe experiencing ourselves or itself in some way that the fact that we're. That's many people have described it that way. Yeah. That we're the universe experiencing ourselves. Um, if you wanted to be really pragmatic, you would say that all of these things, whether it's love or creativity or the des- desire for success and to be, have your work appreciated, what all those things really do is they encourage camaraderie, which encourages cooperation, which gets more work done. Creativity encourages innovation, which creates better and newer things. Right. And the desire to be appreciated for one's work makes one work extra hard to achieve these goals. But ultimately, what are all these goals? Like, what's the end result? The end result is better things. Right. Constant innovation. Better thing. I mean, I've talked about this many times before because I'm obsessed with it. But for the people that have heard this, please forgive me. I am obsessed with the concept that human beings are essentially uh, like a caterpillar that's creating a cocoon and that out of this, this technological butterfly will emerge and we don't even realize why we're doing it. The caterpillar is not consciously aware, hey, it's time to make the cocoon. The human being stuck in traffic, working a nine to five, uh, working for Apple every day is not really thinking, hey, I am a part of this thing that will one day give birth to artificial intelligence and to sentient beings that are made out of carbon and silicon and, you know, they're created in a laboratory rather than in a womb. But I think that's what we're doing. Yeah. And so it gets me back when we're talking about like where these ideas come from and the idea of amuse because like Joe, the because you said you've got these ideas for jokes that have panned out quite well, right? And it's like, so I look at my videos and sometimes I'm really struggling with a title and a thumbnail, which is, I would say the most important thing because you got to get people to click, right? Right. And then after that, you need good content or they'll just click off and they'll never come back. But it's interesting. It's that sometimes it's when I put the intention out into the universe, I'll I'll give myself this feeling of self-belief that I am getting just the right title and just the right thumbnail to get me views because that was my... That was my original goal was like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go down this YouTube path Then I might as well do it. I'm going to go big. I want 1 million subscribers and I want to get videos to get millions of views. And I want to teach something to somebody in the process and have fun doing it and encourage other people to look into things. And the, the thing is, is that sometimes with some of these ideas, I'm like, from one second to the next, all of a sudden the idea comes and it worked out quite well in many, in so many times over and over but you're again. Focusing. I mean, you think about what you're doing. You're sitting down there and you're thinking about it and you're focusing. I, well, and you're true. using your creativity and your concentration. It's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be mystical. Well, true. Right? Except for that sometimes I'll be tossing in over these ideas for weeks of focusing on it. And sometimes that's what delays me so long because if I, if I have a good content, I'm like, I need to know how to share this. But if you can't market, especially with YouTube and how big it is now, and if you you got to show somebody why they should click on your video, and uh, just focusing on it enough isn't necessarily what's brought me my ideas. I've struggled tremendously by focusing too hard, and then all of a sudden when I maybe let go a little bit, I get this flash. And I'm like, ah, I th- that's how it should look. Right. Okay. Because especially when I'm these topics I'm talking about. Like the say Atlantis, which we got, we're gonna have to talk about that. How do you make a video when there's like ten thousand other U- or Atlantis videos out there? What's gonna make someone want to click on this one more than the others? So it's got to be a title that's maybe perhaps a little provocative or have certain yeah. keywords for the algorithm. 
And I've learned like with thumbnails, you got to, because if people are, are literally- So you think about this shit a lot. Yeah. About how to get people to watch a lot. How yes. long have you been doing this now? I created, all right, so uh, August of 2016 was when my first videos started coming out. Or actually, that's not true. June, July, but those videos don't exist anymore. The earliest one you'll find on my channel will be, I believe, August of 2016. So it's been a process of yeah. like trying to- The first four months- I didn't have 100 subscribers for the first four months. You're obsessed with the subscriber number and the views and all that shit. Huh? It was a goal because I'm like, all right, so I did a complete 180 in my life. And I went from like this this path that was more, let's say, normal and all the check boxes. And I'm like, well, how the, if I'm going to do this, I want to be successful at it. Right. right. But I want to give back in the process. And by give back, I mean like teach someone something. Like I, I don't want to go do silly, dumbass videos, even if it would make me more money. I'd rather be proud of something I'm doing, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So the Atlantis one. So, yeah, the wrist shot structure. I yeah. was wondering if you saw those videos, Joe. Yeah, no, that was that was a big one that I saw because I've been fascinated by the concept of Atlantis. You know, ever since I had these conversations with Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock about the Younger Dryas Impact Theory mm -hmm. and this concept that somewhere in the roughly around 11,000, 12,000 years ago, we were hit by a series of comets. And it's pretty evident that that's a fact. If you do the core samples of the Earth, they find this nuclear glass all over the Earth that exists in that time period. And it seems like something happened that reset civilization. And there's very little uh, evidence of advanced civilizations before that up until recently, up until the last couple of decades. They started uncovering things like Gobekli Tepe, yep. And all these other structures that are clearly from more than 12,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. And they're really complex and really large with enormous stones. And it's sort of caused people to rethink the history of the Earth and the, the history of human civilizations. And Atlantis has always been the big one. That has been the one that everybody talked about. It was this incredibly advanced civilization. Mm -hmm. And no one could figure out where it is. Right. Or if it was real. I think that Atlantis, because surely that wouldn't have been necessarily the name just through like the, the change of language, you know, over, let's say, 12, 13,000 years ago, which would be the time frame. So like surely there would be several different changes of language. But I think it represented a civilization that was doing great things. They were more global than what mo many people think would be possible. Um, it Atlantis was said to be a kingdom made up of – or an empire, excuse me, made up of 10 kingdoms. And then there was the lost city of Atlantis, which was the capital, which was said to be made up of concentric circles, uh, two of water, three of land. And essentially that they were obliterated by a cataclysm as passed down by Plato, although it's worth mentioning that Plato got the story of Atlantis from Solon, who was his uh, uncle separated by six generations. But what people, most people don't realize is that Solon had traveled to Egypt and so it's the ancient Egyptians is where that tale comes from, mm. which makes it even more bizarre because I would argue that the most spectacular ancient civilization is the Egyptians. I mean, I mean, no disrespect to the Romans. To, hard to deny. Right? I mean, it, let me just say, because I want to, on this podcast, encourage people to travel to Egypt. It, Joe, you got to go. I really want to. A friend of mine just went, and she got back, and she was telling me incredible things about it. Jamie, will you pull up the photos of these concentric circles? Tell him... Yeah, the wrist shot, R-I-C-H-A-T. It's worth got, mentioning that, yeah, in the now, first couple, e, uh, I just want to say it's wrist shot. I used to call it Rick hot. I was mispronouncing it. But let me ask you this, Joe, real quick. When you saw my video, was that the very first time you had ever seen this thing yes. before? Yeah. That's the thing. So, so many, when I first saw this, I was like, 
What the fuck is that? By the way, you see that white, all those white blemishes? Uh-huh. That's salt. This was under the ocean. And, and people, let me just say, you mentioned Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock. I love them. And I know for sure that they don't particularly think this is the site for a few different reasons. Um, so let me say there's absolute doubt. Even I am not 100% certain. I'm not even 100% certain Atlantis existed. What I am certain is that humans were doing spectacular things in a civil, uh, you know, a cataclysmic event happened called the Younger Dryas and reset something for somebody. Is there a natural explanation for yes. this formation? Yes. So what? So let me say that it is considered to be a mysterious. They don't. They're not 100% certain of it. However, the consensus is that it was a volcanic dome that had risen and collapsed multiple times like 100 million years ago, allegedly. Uh, I don't, I say allegedly, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that. I'm just saying I would like to know where sometimes they get these figures from. Like, explain to me why it was 100 million years ago and not 99 or 98, because here we are talking about how crazy things changed in just the last 12, 13,000 years. So when they throw around these numbers, you know, 1 million years in itself is an incredibly long period of time. But getting back to your question, some had originally thought that maybe it was an impact site from a from a you know uh, an asteroid or perhaps, but there's no evidence for it. Like there's well, none there's, of the, the nano. The problem is, is is there's these concentric circles. The yeah. Way, I like the, I've never seen anything. I mean, obviously I'm not an archaeologist, but I've never seen anything like this. In, uh, I mean, if you study structures that are like man-made structures, I've never seen anything like this that humans have made. But I've definitely never seen like any, go, go to that yeah, one where yeah. your cursor's yeah. on, Jamie. Please. So is this? You want to see some? All right. I'm what is sorry. this? What we, okay. Okay. One one step at a time because we, yep. we also have to take into consideration that people are just listening. So kind okay. of describe what we're looking at here. Okay. So what you're looking at is approximately 250 miles inland in the total barren desert of Mauritania, Africa. So but the Western Sahara. But this image looks like. Why is it blue? That's just showing you the what it used to look like. No, this is what it looks like right now through. Um, I forgot what you call this type of animation, but it's essentially it's a satellite imagery that they enhanced in order for you to see the difference in elevation and the actual structure to itself. Okay, so but, it like if there was water in this area, you would see it this way that it would be these concentric circles that are raised above the water, and then the water would be inside of it like that. Well, just to clarify, this particular image, no, this is not trying to represent water. So that blue is actually picking up on salt. So, Salt. All that was salt. But, I mean, it used to be underwater, right? It's salt well, because it was underwater. That's what I believe, and that's what makes the most sense to me. Others will disagree, and let me tell you why. It is currently 12, 1,300 feet above sea level. It's 250 miles inland. And so some people say this was never under the ocean, at least not for the last tens of millions of years is what – the scientists claim. Hmm. I argue that since the salt is still there, and not only that, Jamie, if you go to the other images that show you more of the the white, um, the, the one uh, that you were previously on, the one to the middle to the left right there. So those areas with the most white blemishes happen to be the areas that are the lowest in elevation, which to me tells me that salt water had settled there. But hmm. not only that, Joe, Atlantis was said to be, like we said, you know, multiple rings of, you know, water and land. However, it was said to open to the sea to the south. And what you're looking at here, that the south, so this is oriented north, south, east, and west. What do you see to the south? And especially if we could get another. This is a very flat area that looks like it's the lowest elevation. Like around it looks like it's higher. I mean, it's hard to well, tell from this image. Jamie, will you, will you Google map it? Just type in, um, even if you went to Mortania. So you could see this from space. Um, astronauts use it as a locator 
and they weren't really familiar or aware of it until the Gemini missions in the early 1960s. So if you go to like if you just go to Google Earth, you could you'll be able to find this quite quickly. It stands out, and it's why they call it the Eye of Africa or the Eye of the Sahara. All right, so just pan out a little bit, and it'll provide us with a much. Yeah, keep going. All that, all that white is salt. In fact, I had a friend, Josh Gerson, that went out there and tasted that shit off the fucking ground. That's salt. Because a lot of people say, this was never under the ocean. And I'm like, all right, you see all that? Even Randall Carlson himself, which let me just say, he, for a few reasons, doesn't, he, he favors the Azores. He doesn't think this is likely to be location for a few reasons. He favors what? The Azores. The, the, the uh, island chain, which would be, uh, it's, it's. And he thinks that that was Atlantis. He, he to him, he's partial towards that. Um, but so he analyzed this site, and you see all the striations. How uh-huh. it looks like the the ocean, or so that's all water erosion, Joe. Mm. And if you scroll in, so remember when Randall was on your show and he showed you the Missoula Missoula floodplains yes. and all those giant ripples from the huge current that it went through. Uh-huh. This this is here. So scroll in right there where your cursor is, Jamie. The yeah, scroll right in. You're going to see those same water ripples. Keep going, because this what you're looking at here is panned out. This is many miles. Like keep in mind, this structure is 30 oh, miles that's across. That's crazy. That looks like the bottom of the ocean. Like if you see where the water breaks on on the sand. Yep. And I have a uh, wow. That's better crazy. Pictures. And that just to clarify, that salt or excuse me, that white is salt. And that is a because that's a lot of people don't know, Joe, that the Sahara Desert wasn't a thing until approximately 5,000 years ago. It's only in the last several years, and, and by the way, I'm quoting MIT research here, that the, the Sahara goes back and forth from green to desert approximately every 20,000 years. Uh, they believe it has something to do with the Earth's tilt, and that's worth discussing. But so this whole area, because people are like, well, that's not Atlantis. I'm like, well, first of all, if this whole, if the Western, or excuse me, the Sahara Desert was a lush green tropical paradise, which had the largest known freshwater lakes ever known to have existed, for example, uh, Mega Lake Chad, which is, it's like three times more water surface than all of the um, North American Great Lakes combined. It's Whoa. a big sucker. Holy um, shit. How's it not an ocean? I know. It's, well, it's all freshwater? It was when it existed, and that was at the time when the Sahara was green. And it also had some of the largest known rivers exist that were known to have existed throughout the world. I think they'd still be ranked 10th today or something like that. But um, so you have to – when you see this, people have to imagine that this area was once green and that if that – because one of the arguments I make is that the fact that that salt is on top of that dirt to me is indicative that the ocean flowed over here far more recently than what people think. How, how wide is this structure? Okay, so these concentric circles. Oh, I, I meant to bring. I brought a laser. Do you have a laser pointer in here? No, that's okay. So this, the circles themselves, is about fourteen and a half miles across. However, if you go the complete shebang, the whole circle itself is just shy of thirty miles. So the whole thing is thirty miles, which would be like the size of a city. Right. Well, well. Keep in mind, the outer ring would have been water. So the so that wouldn't have necessarily counted. But some people will say that this is too big according to Plato's description. Um, and let me just say that I'm like, well, hold on a second. I don't think that we should consider that because of loss of translation that we should consider the measurements a key detail. The question becomes, is it big enough to be a city with possibly millions of people? Because the way it was described is that it was a city that was said to be busy all day, all night, rich in trade with languages spoken from all over. So I'm like, okay. 
it would that would imply millions of people. I mean, if a city's busy all day and all night, I think of large metropolitan areas like New York, Chicago, London, whatever. And so, if this if, if this was indeed an ancient or a site of an ancient civilization, well, then it would have. I mean, they're obviously not going to have skyscrapers, so it would have to be an area big enough to sustain that many people. And the Rishot structure certainly does. And so, the idea would be that this would lead out to the ocean, and that these circles would be where the water is, and then the ridges would would be where the structures are, where the the houses and the buildings yep. are. And people will say, well, where is that stuff now? I'm like, well, look at it. Well, it, it got obliterated. People, yeah, those people should shut the fuck up. <laughs> well, well, but if you just say, look at what's going on with the sand and the, those clear water erosion marks on the sand, but that also could be wind, right? Couldn't the way that the ripples in that, that sand, couldn't that be wind? Both. However, just to, just to clarify. Because is that sand that has the, where the cursor is at right there? Yes, that that's has? all sand. However, the uh, it's also – actually, go jo- – uh, to the right where it says layers, Jamie, can you scroll in right there? Because that will show you the ripples more. So it's a combination of sand and rock. You mean to the left? Between. Right, right left. there. That's what I'm talking about. Those are giant ripples. And I'm quoting, let me just say, I'm quoting Randall Carlson, who I consider to be an expert on these, on geological formations. And so, um, yeah. Right. But isn't that what wind-driven sand looks like? If you go to dunes, dunes look like that. Yeah. And undoubtedly- But hold on. This is mm-hmm. sand, right? Yes. Well, it's combination. Rock and sand in between. Right. But this is like what it would look like if wind-driven sand and rock underneath it. Right. So what the implication is that it was blasted by water and then after that- the wind has done its thing and moved the sand all over it and in between. So 20,000 years ago, this was all green, lush forest? No, Joe. 5,000. 5,000? So really? I'll, I could sh- yes. So I could show you- um, When did they think Atlantis was? 11,600 a- is allegedly when it was destroyed, which mirrors oh, the younger, driest climate catastrophe. Because um, so Plato had- dis- So this is 600 BC, and Plato said that it happened 9,000 years earlier. So that would be 11,600 years ago, which- coincides with the Younger Dryas climate catastrophe, which makes it so compelling. To me, that is actual scientific evidence that indicates that Atlantis actually existed because well, it's very specific. Of. It is very specific, but it's not scientific, right? It's well, like there's no real evidence. Okay, let me it's rephrase. That a civilization, a yes, yeah. let me rephrase. A civilization got fucked. Yeah. 11,600. So never mind Atlantis. Let me rephrase. A civilization was around the the stories of it were passed down and they got obliterated so that's that's what i'm implying well we all we definitely know that the younger dryas impact theory is extremely plausible there are without a doubt uh, like many many impact parts points on earth where they find this uh tritonite this nuclear glass mm-hmm. which they you can get either from a nuclear explosion or you get it from an uh, some sort of a meteor impact large scale you know all over the continent and we know that uh all over the planet i should say we we know that that happened like yep. this is like real hardcore geological evidence so if we know that there were structures before that which we do now because of gobekli tepe and a few other places that mm-hmm. they're reasonably sure were uh pre 11,000 years ago 12,000 years ago mm-hmm then we know that something was around back then that was very sophisticated. How sophisticated, we don't know. But then the other thing is, like, how much would be left? You know, if you ever seen those uh, photographs of Detroit um, that where you see houses that are being consumed by trees? Yeah. And uh, there's there's some great 
ones in Russia as well, where they have uh, these photographers have taken to going into these abandoned cities and watching the 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 nature, like watching trees and the greenery consume these houses. But in Detroit, we're only talking about a couple decades. You've got trees growing through the center of houses. So the houses had holes in them. Rain came in through the holes. Right. There's holes in the floor. Something, whether it's a tree or something, grew up through the floorboards, burst through the floorboards. See if you can find some of those images, Jamie, because they're really fascinating. And so for people to just get an understanding of time scale, what we're looking at in these images. Quick one I found real fast. Yeah, so that was one. Yeah, so it's one from 2009, and then you see it from 2013. It's it's basically consuming that house. So in 2009, you just have a house in between two houses. In 2013, the house is abandoned and it's being consumed by trees. It looks like it's been condemned. It looks like it's going to fall in on itself pretty soon. Yeah, but it's four years. It's it's wild, and so that's what's crazy. In four years. I mean, if you came back four years later and you saw that the house was abandoned, like right now in 2009, it looks like a normal house. Like you drive by, oh, there's a house. Yeah. In 2013, you go, oh, well, the house is getting eaten by trees. But there's some other ones from Detroit, Jamie, where you can see houses where the trees are actually growing up through the center of the house. I'll find one. I just, okay, I no worries. No worries. Right but my point is, this is just a few years. Right. If you go a few hundred years, everything's gone. Look at the Titanic. Granted, it's under the ocean, but in just over a little more than 100 years, Look at that one. it's more than 50% gone already. Look at that one right there. Oh, that's that's good. That's crazy. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's 60 that. years. Like this house has been absolutely consumed by trees. You know, Joe, people ask, they'll say, well, where's the rest of the evidence? I'm like, all right, so first of all, metal rusts away. Some yeah. people say, well, what about the plastic? I'm like, who said they did plastic? And by the way, if they were to, what makes you think that they would choose petroleum for it? Because uh, the hemp plant grew, used to grow naturally throughout the world before it was eradicated. And you can make completely biodegradable hard plastic out of hemp plant. Yeah, you can. And this is something we absolutely should be doing right now. And how da- No, no, no. How, how, how dare, dare you, you, Joe? That, how dare you? That big oil. Come on now. <laughs> Isn't it fascinating, though, when you think about the idea that these civilizations were super advanced but did it in an incredibly different way than the way we're doing it like we think that the only way to be super advanced is to have heavy machinery to have electronics to have you know uh, 5g wireless internet access and all these different things but what they did somehow was figure out a way how to cut these immense stones and move them from hundreds of miles away and they figured out how to do this where they left behind no evidence of the construction. It's wild. And this is one reason, Joe, I want you to get to Egypt so bad, because when you see these stones... So I had a really... In my own mind, I remember thinking, what it would, picturing what it would look like before I went to Egypt, what it would look like in person. Joe, it's bigger and far more... Everything's bigger and far more impressive in person, and the pictures never do it justice. I went over there with an ultra-wide camera uh, lens, and, like, you know, that's the only way to get the full capture of many of these stones, but yet it distorts. It doesn't show you just how big they are. So one of the things I like to do is have somebody stand next to it and then take the photo because then you can actually uh, Yeah, appreciate. I saw pictures of you next to it. And you're about 5'10". Is that what you yep, are? Yeah, I try to say it yeah. all the time. I'm 5'10", so people could be like, yeah. just, you know, an average size guy just... That, yeah, there you oh, go. Okay, yeah, you look at this. That. that is a 125-ton stone. 
That yeah. is, oh, pr- uh, shout out to my Instagram, Bright Insight. <laughs> just, hey, just, let me just say real quick. Bright underscore Insight on Instagram. Yeah, but just to clarify, there's another channel called Bright Inside. Oh. I think they ripped me off, to be honest, cause I, but that's another story. But uh, I just want to clarify that. And, um, yeah, it's, Joe, it's actually kind of hilarious being on here right now because I never even shared my last name. The internet didn't know. Like, if you type Bright Insight Corsetti, so I'm Jimmy Corsetti to anyone listening, and I decided to keep my last name off the internet because... When I first started this, I'm like, all right, I'm talking all kinds of crazy topics. I don't want the attention. Leave me alone. Um, but coming on here, it's like, why hold it back any anymore? Um, and so anyways, it's funny. Nobody like, gives a shit. You, yeah, no, yeah, who gives a shit? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the funny thing is, Joe, it's like, well, yeah, whatever. Well, look at these images, man. This These stones. What's fascinating to me is how they're uneven, but yet they're perfectly fit into place. I mean, but what I mean by uneven is... There are a bunch of different shapes. It, the, for, for the people that are just listening, if, and if you go to the bright underscore insight Instagram page, there's plenty of uh, images that Jimmy has up here. But these stones are much, much taller than him. They're immense. And they're these weird shapes, but yet they fit into each other perfectly. But what's crazy also is they're smooth in some places where they like, it's almost like artistic, right? Yeah. Like the way they jumbled them all together, but like perfectly fit them. So like look at that, God, that's amazing. Scroll over again, Jamie, because I'm gonna I'm gonna wow you. Go one more time, I think. All right, so that stone right there is 17 feet tall above ground, and another 12 below, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's 12 and then 17. I, I can't remember, but it's a 29 foot long stone, Jeez. at least 100 tons. So they dug under the ground, or did the yep. ground consume it? Uh, dug. Well, I hard believe. To say. That's what I was told. Um, right? It's hard to say because like a lot of the structures in ancient Egypt, especially like the Old Kingdom, they found them underneath where they were buried by sand, Yeah, which is obviously very different than... Well, this is just hard dirt. Yeah. And where in Egypt was this? Oh, I'm sorry. This is Peru. So this Oh, is this is Sa- Machu Picchu? Uh, no, this is so. This is uh, Sacsayhuaman, is what the, it's called, and it's these huge polygonal walls, these terraces, and um, all right, because I can see it on there. I'm such a nerd, Joe. You got to wow, look so, at that doorway. It's, it's it's huge, and that first picture we were showing you that says 125 tons, just to put it into perspective for people, that's more than three 737-800s, which is like a common say Southwest jet, heavier than three of those suckers. One that one stone, and it's like how, the, how they're not even entirely sure where it came from. It's like how did they how did they move it? Yeah, see, I put this in there. I'm, set, I, I'm into planes, Joe. So yeah. to, for comparison, because I also made the comparison that it's uh, twenty thousand pounds heavier than a seven six seven four hundred, which is a wide body jetliner. Can you go back, Jamie? Go back one. It's, it doesn't matter. That's fine. These um, stones, do they have an idea of where the quarry was? It. Not exactly. It's at least 20 miles here. But like it, there's other places, say Egypt, where you have like these 70 ton stone blocks that remove more than 500 miles. Yeah. And they, the only boats that they had that we know of were completely incapable of carrying something like that. That's correct. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they didn't have something that's since gone away. Right. But I, wanna, I have to say something because I know exactly because there's so many people out there that will cite. Um, there was a discovery a handful of years ago of this papyrus. That had uh, it was essentially a receipt for limestone blocks that were brought up the Nile and delivered to Giza, and oh. many people have said, "Up, oh, see, this is." There was such clickbait fraud headlines about it, saying, "You know, papyrus describing how they built the pyramids." That is the biggest clip 
clickbait nonsense because if you actually look at what was detailed on it, it doesn't say anything. It doesn't use the word pyramid. It doesn't say what they were used for. All it says is horizon of Khufu. And so what some people interpret that to mean is that the alleged uh, pharaoh who built the Great Pyramid, his name was Khufu. And that horizon of Khufu essentially could indicate, oh, his resting place as in horizon being to the west where you go when you die. That's all that thing says. And it was already known, Joe, that some of the blocks were bought to Giza. So I just want to point that out because I know that people are going to Google this stuff and be like, oh, no, no, we know exactly how they did it. I'm I like, like it, I like how you use this goofy voice. You have your dissenters, <laughs> all your dissenters uh, have goofy you, voices. As you're saying here, you got this papyrus that will explain everything. So this it is, doesn't. This, so this papyrus is uh, some kind of a receipt? Is that the idea? Yeah, it was, it was um, I forgot. Yes, it was, uh, I'm forgetting his name off the top, but it was a gentleman and he was moving blocks. And, um, but the thing that people need to realize is that there are there are hundreds and hundreds of other structures right around the Great Pyramid that are unbelievably smaller and the blocks are unbelievably smaller than the ones in the pyramid. There's a lot of things that were built there over a few thousand years. So it's like that it doesn't prove that that was for the pyramid and I don't think it is. But who knows? Because I know how the skeptics well, are. Way. So I want to be open-minded. But like the reality is that it does not say pyramid. It doesn't describe how anything was constructed. It's worth saying. But either way, it is a, a limestone receipt. Yeah. So there, there was some sort of trade in these stones. And is there any depictions of transport of these blocks? Zero, except there is one that was, I don't know if it was the tomb of Rankara, whatever, I might be getting the name wrong, but the, it shows a 58-ton statue that they dragged on sleds, and it sh- seems to depict them pouring water. But it's worth mentioning- Where, What is that one? How does someone find that? I, uh, I, I'd have to, I mean, I have it on my, I brought my computer. I just don't have it in here with me. Um, I wish I could show it to you. Type in Egyptians sled statue. And that will Google will bring that up under Google Image. Is that it right there? Boom. So that's a recreation because this was destroyed and damaged, but someone had interpreted it. It was destroyed and damaged. How? Uh, I believe it was water flooding. There was different places. I, I could be wrong on that because Can a you lot click of. Click on that, Jamie, so we could see it larger. But they're showing that's what was allegedly depicted. Okay. And I use allegedly just because we can't see it today, but I don't have any doubt. I'm just saying. But so that. To, when, well, hold, hold, slow down. Sorry. When we're talking <laughs> about this, like when was this destroyed? Oh, not long in um. 1850-something like so that. See the head of it? 100-something years ago. Down, down, Jamie. Yeah, so we get the full image. Look out. So the idea is that you got all these guys pulling. It's on a sled, mm-hmm. and they're pouring water. And how old do they think this image was? I believe, if I remember right, 3,500 years. Well, that seems pretty reasonable yeah. that they moved it this way. I, Have you ever seen those uh, videos of from the 1930s of them moving entire buildings, like huge buildings? I haven't seen that. See, see if you can find the time-lapse videos of them moving buildings from the 1930s. Not only did they move these buildings like several inches a day, and they completely rotated like 180 degrees the, the where the foundation of the building lay, but they also kept the power and electricity and the gas on. Yeah, this one I just saw. That's why this, this is it. People didn't quit working the entire time. Yeah, the Jesus. people that were in the building kept working. So it's an eight-story, 11,000-ton Indiana Bell building rotation in 1930. So in 1930, first of all, you have to take into consideration the sophistication of the machinery was very different than what we have today. I mean, most of these buildings were made with bricks. They, you know, they had 
steel beams and structures. Like I'm sure you've seen the those construction photos of these guys that were eating lunch on a on a beam high above New York City. Yes, which is fucking wild. Never do that. That scares the shit out. <laughs> I get sweaty hands just looking at those pictures. I'm not even but afraid of heights. Go back that's... to that video, please. But that video of this uh, building. I mean, you think about it. This is in 1930, and you know, obviously we can do much more today than we could then. But what they did, play it. Oh, seconds. Yeah, I know. But when you watch this happen, like this is fucking wild, man. They they moved this entire building. I am, let me just say, I am less impressed by the moving of things. Because technically, like, if you use wedges, you could lift a whole house. So just keep jamming them in there. Right. It's kind of like, so, although I, one random thought I'm having is that with that prior uh, illustration of that 58-ton statue... There's other ones in Egypt called the Colossi of Memnon, and those are 720 tons a piece, and they were carved estimated from a one out of one piece of stone, a thousand ton stone, and Jesus. moved and moved tremendous distances. So I'd like to see that done, but I would think that that same method could be done to scale, and so I don't disagree with it. What I am curious about, Joe, is how they got those 120 or 130 70 ton granite blocks more than 300 feet up into the Great Pyramid alleged king chamber. Yeah. Well, this um, these images and that that building. That's a good point. Is that this not made with enormous stones? This right. is even though the building itself is enormous, we know that piece by piece it wasn't wasn't really that big, right? Except for the beams and some of the like the structural elements of it. But if you look at some of those king's chamber stones, I mean, my God, and they're so perfectly cut. It's unreal. It's unreal, Joe, and that's the thing that impresses me more is the cuts themselves. Yeah. Because the Egyptians are said to be a Bronze Age culture, which means that's supposed to be the most sophisticated type of tooling that they had. However, when modern tests have been done on, you know, testing it on granite and limestone, it's failed miserably. And, and what I mean by that is that you can technically cut these things in half, but it takes a tremendous amount of time. And if... They were alleged because each pyramid, and keep in mind, there's more like there's something like 118 pyramids in Egypt. A lot of people don't realize that. They just think of the you know the three big ones in Giza, but all of these, if they were said to be tombs for the pharaohs, which I don't agree with, um, and for a variety of reasons, they were all said to be done in a chronological order and within a certain period of time. And I'm like, when we're talking tens of millions of stone blocks in aggregate because like the great pyramid is 2.3 million you have the other couple that are a couple million a pop and then does include all the other tens of millions of blocks that make up statues casing stones other buildings literally i mean i estimate and this is just a ballpark but it had to have been at least 50 million stones cut throughout ancient egypt and i'm like when you're doing it with methods that can barely get in more than an inch an hour and by that i'm talking a, a copper saw and they pour in sand and water, and essentially the quartzite particles are what's cutting it. But Joe, it's so slow, and not to mention the precision is nowhere near it. And so it's like, it, it's a mystery. Like they don't, because there's a few things people need to know is that nowhere in all the tens of thousands of hieroglyphs found throughout ancient Egypt, not one single one of them shows anything about them cutting stone, nor does it show anything depicting the construction of a pyramid. Nothing. Well, we lost a lot during the Library of Alexandria burning, right? Well, yes, although I've, so I made a video on that years ago saying that, you know, the, the stupid Caesar burnt that thing down. But, you know, I'm starting to think, Joe, I'm like, the Caesars were highly intelligent and they, they were gatherers, gatherers of information and documented everything. I'm like, you know, Joe, they kept that. I would have raided that thing, took all that information, 
And now it gets me thinking about like, you know, Vatican archives and stuff. Yeah, but hold on a second. You weren't there, right? Like the Caesar probably wasn't there either. They no, sent, he did. They was, sent people. Well, okay. Right, but he invaded. They, yeah, they invaded, but do you think like he was there? Like they, they probably had a bunch of barbarians at the helm and these savages were bloodthirsty and they're getting yeah. crazy and killing people and taking over Egypt. They lit shit on fire. Yeah. They probably weren't even thinking like that, yeah. hey, the the actual construction methods that you know we could pass down from generation to generation are here. It's possible. I don't know. I don't know either. So you think they kept it in the Vatican? Well, well no, no. That's, hold on. That is a fun topic. I don't. I don't I'm not convinced of it. It just seems to me that throughout war people gather intelligence whenever like they capture somebody mm-hmm. or they kill them. And it just seems to me that the Caesars would have possibly maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Maybe they burnt it all down or maybe they kept that stuff because Have of, you been to the Vatican? No. It's wild. Yeah. The Vatican's confusing. Yeah, cuz there's so much shit there. You I I knew that there was an uh, immense amount of artwork there, but um when you actually go there and you see the Billions and billions of dollars worth of art that was accumulated over who knows how many hundreds, if not thousands of years. It's pretty shocking. Yeah. It's like a, a raider's hoard. Right. I mean, that's really what it is. It's like th- they- Well, yeah. They, they clearly stole all this shit. Yeah. It's like the Romans. You got to think about, because that all originates from the Romans. Yeah. I just want to remind everybody that like when they took over like a quarter of the world's population, all of Europe, they didn't like show up like, hey, you know- like to just can we have your land? Like everyone that didn't speak their language was a barbarian, and they they pillaged, raped, and took yeah. and just stole it. Yeah. Like it's ours now. Yeah, and they have it all in one spot, and that one spot is also its own country, which is yeah. weird. It's its own yeah. country inside Italy, so it has its own extradition laws, which is great because it happens to be overrun with pedophiles. <laughs> it, the, yes, this yeah. is true. It's pretty fucked. And and. and and meanwhile, they have 53 miles of shelf space within that archive. That's why I was getting my conspiracy ideas going because it's like no one's allowed in there. You have to be a certain academic and you have to get permission. And not only – so you can't just go browse it. Right. You have to specifically request what you want to look at. Mm-hmm. And the issue with that is that if you don't know it exists, how do you know to ask for it? So it's like who knows what type of information could be in there. I'm not suggesting that they're the, – the, shelves are lined with secrets from Egypt or anything, but it does make me wonder, I mean, that's all, 53 miles of shelf space is, is an astronomical amount of old ancient texts. Yeah, it really is. It's um, it's pretty fascinating that this one country, or this one, whatever you want to call the Vatican, has accumulated such a, an immense stash of artwork and of, of knowledge and of information and just to, just the tapestries alone that they have. You, you just yeah. pass by the paintings and the sculptures. It's like, it's really mind blowing. Like I, I, I did it over the course of a couple of days, but I think you need months. I imagine. To go and really pay attention to it, to try to get a grasp of what the fuck they were doing. And also like, it's really weird, like all the depictions of the men, they have tiny penises. And the, I asked the – we had this guy who was a professor who was the uh, our guide. We hired a private guide. He's really, really fun, really in- intelligent guy. But he said that they thought of large penises as being animalistic and barbaric. I've heard this. And so they have these men with these perfect bodies, like these Greek gods, these tiny, tiny little penises. You know what I, you know what I think? What? Well, whoever carved that stone maybe had a small dick and wanted to be like, this is see, this is normal. This is what it looks like. Because I'm sorry, if you were if you were doing quite well and were endowed, I think it is a natural thing for 
women to like that, assuming that you're not too big. And so, I mean, this is reality. So I, it wouldn't have been any different, you know, because people have always made fun of small dicks because, like, you're not doing much for your lady potentially. And so maybe this, these guys were carved by there were some artsy guys and they had some, they weren't if, packing. If back then, if they, you know, the idea was that they were trying to get away from barbarism, they were trying to get away from these raiding hordes of, of beast like men who came, like, maybe they really did think of. Like godlike men as having like smaller penises. I mean, thing the weird thing about like aesthetics and what people like and don't like is that it changes over time, right? Like at one point in time, really overweight women were considered attractive because really overweight women had access to food. Yeah. Whereas really thin women were considered like sad and poor. Like right. you, like a model of today, if she went back to like the Renaissance, they would look at her like this poor girl. Right. You know. Um. Yeah, I, it just seems to me because like when you see that beautiful statue or statues, it, that penis is so small, Joe. They could have made it a little bit bigger. Is all I'm saying, and still not been barbaric. I understand, <laughs> but I mean, this I'm is what humorous, this guy. Like... I know you are, but this is what this guy was telling me that this is what they were. I mean, you're talking about a time, you know, thousand, two thousand years ago, where you're dealing with the Roman Empire, you're dealing with the, the Germans and the, the barbarians and the, the Mongols and the Khans, and there's so much chaos and barbarism. There's so much slaughter and just hardcore hand-to-hand -hand combat, and Genghis Khan was lighting bodies on fire and launching them in catapults, and, like, it's wild times. So I think that maybe they were just, like, trying to express, like, a... A, a more delicate side of nature and mankind. Anyway, yeah. it's not that important. Yeah, but it's a what fun is topic. What is important is that they they did have in the center of um, one of their courtyards, they have an obelisk from Egypt. Yeah, that they had imported somehow or another. This fucking immense stone obelisk. I took a photo of it. I know it's on my phone somewhere, but I'm not going to find it right now. But it, they brought it from Egypt. Mm -hmm. And that's not close. No. You know, and they figured out a way to get that thing there. Who knows how many fucking years ago? Uh, I forgot. It, it was it was like 100 or so years ago. I could be wrong, but I know that they these obelisks have been brought over everywhere. It's not just Rome. They're in France. They're in London. It's in New York. It's kind of weird. New York has obelisks? They, they have one in Central Park. Really? I'm pretty. I'm 90% yeah. sir. Oh, that's I've right. We've talked before. about this. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, go to the, yeah, go to that photo because that's fucking wild. We have an Egyptian obelisk in Central Park. What was the significance of the obelisk? Why were the Egypts? Why were the Egyptians uh, really interested in that particular shape? It's a good question. I don't think to answer Joe. I don't think anyone can say with certainty. Cleopatra's needle. Go back to that, please. Yeah, look at that. With the description, Cleopatra's needle in New York. No, go back right there. Yeah, Cleopatra's needle in New York City is one of the three similarly named Egyptian obelisks erected in Central Park. West of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in Manhattan in January 22nd, 1881. Wow. That's pretty cool. It is very cool. Although, the, it's worth it mentioning, is. though, Joe, like Egypt has been completely rat fucked. It, it has been looted over millennia. You had yeah. the ancient Greeks invaded, the Romans invaded. I mean, Alexander the Great went through. Like, it's the, Egypt was, for whatever reason, a highly desirable spot where it has been completely, numerous times over history, has been just completely decimated and stolen and, and everything else. And yeah. I find that interesting, Joe, because I'm like, they were drawn to it for, for who knows how many 
different reasons. I mean, why what, why would they feel over thousands of years people have been trying to take that place over and have actually? Because even the British, like when you look at like their mar- more modern history, Joe, that place has been completely screwed with for thousands of years. And it's worth mentioning that if you go back to the alleged pyramid builders, which was said to be the fourth dynasty of 4,500 or so years ago. Why do you say alleged? You don't think that they're the people that built it? There's pretty good evidence. Somebody built 20, it. There's pretty good evidence that it's 2,500 BC was the construction date of the pyramids, right? Well, yes. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. But here's here's what I, my issue is that a lot of people don't realize that. So that was said to be the old kingdom. And there's been three kingdoms, Joe, and three what they call intermediate periods. So, for example, 4,500 or so years ago, Great Pyramid, the Pyramids of Giza. Within a 1,000 years after that, there was two periods of time where there's 300, approximately 345 years of lost history. And it's called, inter, they call them intermediate periods. So it went from Old Kingdom, intermediate period, which was like 120-something years, to Middle Kingdom, and then another one of like 200-something years. So within less than a 1,000 years, after the alleged times that they were built, they there's more than 300, almost 350 years of, because of, there was turmoil, by the way. The intermediate periods were where there was revolts. It was complete uh, overthrow of the dynasties, civil war. So I'm like, what is it that the reoccurring theme that we see whenever there's a war? You know, you, the, the, you know, history is written by the victor, so to speak. I think it was Winston Churchill that said that. And it's like, in those periods of time, when whoever took over and took the power and claimed that kingdom for themselves, which may have been inner, it may have been like you know a civil war, revolt, whatever, revolution of some kind, that right there to me is indicative of lost history. So what I, my point that I'm getting at is that I don't know how much faith I put in that this alleged fourth dynasty was the ones that physically did it. I'm saying that maybe it was somebody else and those people claimed it for themselves, saying, I did this, perhaps. Because it's like th- the implications of 340 plus years of lost history immediately after that, that I think there's something to be said for that. Because look at what ISIS did, Joe. Like they went through Iraq. And so I'm an Iraq war veteran. And I had the privilege of seeing these um, Assyrian bulls. I think they're Sumerian because they found them completely buried in mud and dirt. And so I'm thinking like it goes back pre-flood, so to speak. And that these so isis went through and completely bulldozed them they got jackhammers and it's pretty wild one of the I, what, are you, what are you saying they got jackhammers they destroyed them is that what you're saying oh yeah uh jamie will you please bring up the gates of nagal or type in mosul isis ancient so what's so wild joe is that i had a i was at the right place at the right time in mosul during my deployment in 2009 and 10 to be able to see and touch these things with my own hands. And this is at the Gate of Nagal at the ancient city of Nineveh. How old were these things, supposedly? Well, so they'll say, you know, like 4,000 years old or so. I wonder if, no, so not oh, there. Oh, Jesus Christ, they're destroying Wait. these things? Oh, my God, this is horrible. I know, Joe. Oh, my God. Footage shows Islamic State militants in Iraq smashing statues of sledgehammers and a bid to crush a, a bid to crush what they call non-Islamic ideas. Oh, my God, this is fucking horrible. It gets worse than this. Oh, my God. All right, so... Oh, my God, this is fucking terrible. It's hard to see, man. Oh, my God. Fucking humans. So they're destroying these thousands of year old artifacts, and they're yep. doing it with sledgehammers. Oh, Jesus Christ. This is crazy. Yep. And oh, my God, these fucking idiots. So, you, uh, 
yeah, see, this is jackhammers, but that's not even, this, these aren't even the images. I'm, all right, so there, that's where I was. That's the Gate of Nergal, the ancient city of Nineveh, was said to be where Jonah had went after he escaped the whale from the, story, the biblical story. And so that's the same gate that allegedly he had went. And so, Jamie, if you could just um, bring up, because um, there's a specific, a few articles that show that, that spot and these huge, are you familiar with the winged bulls? They're called Lamasu. No. They're like 15 feet tall. You got to see them, Jamie. This is this is so worth it. Um, and so they they these things were unbelievably impressive. And they went through ISIS, Joe. They they got huge uh, earth moving equipment like dozers. And they all right there it is. This is what I'm talking about. So that the the picture on the upper left that's exactly where I was. And there's a picture of ISIS. Um, God, these fucking yeah, idiots. That, right, so that picture with the, the guy in the black, that. So I, I have a picture of me standing right in front oh of that. Oh, my God. He's just destroying that face. Oh, yep. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And it's wild because I remember seeing this on the news and being like, holy shit, I stood right there. And these things were so impressive. And, and the artwork themselves, the precision of them was unbelievable. Huge pieces of granite. or maybe they're, they're Someone should have stepped in. I mean, we uh, fucking Christ. If there's ever a reason to step in and stop morons from doing something horrific, that is like a real priceless part of history, the history of the entire human race. Yep. We should have stepped in. Someone should have stepped in to stop that. That is fucking priceless stuff. Yep. It's God, that's horrible. Oh my God, look at that. So this is what gets my brain going, Joe. I'm like, this is. They've humans- been doing this since 2014. Just well, destroying these things? Well, they're done now. They it's just, all gone? Yeah. Oh, my God. They did their dirty work well, Joe. Fucking morons. Yeah. Jesus Christ, look at this. This is insane. So that's what stands out in my mind, Joe, is that I'm like, you know. Pe- God, that's horrific. Yeah. And it does. Something tells me oh, this isn't the how they first time. that. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. This can't be the first time humans have invaded a place and destroyed stuff from the past because they didn't want it to exist, maybe for right. religious reasons or yeah. for whatever. And so when I hear about this lost history in Egypt immediately after the, the dynasty that was said to have built the pyramids, it makes me wonder what history was lost in that process by either claiming it from themselves, like I did this, and, and then essentially that was passed down to something we, we are talking about today. God, this is hard, so hard to watch. You look at those images, it's so hard to watch. You know, because uh, I've been obsessed with uh, the ancient Middle East as well, and like the ancient Sumerians and Mesopotamia and, the you know, basically the cradle of civilization, of, of what we know of civilization, to see them just destroy those things. Like, fucking Christ. Some of the oldest relics ever. Now, mm. yeah. God, it's so disturbing. Humans, huh? <laughs> It's not humans. It's morons. Yeah. Most humans would revere those things. Yeah. Most humans would look at those things and say, my God, like what incredible structures and like this is a window into the past and we can try to figure out like what, what these people were like and what, what life was like. Yeah. Fucking God. Jesus. <sighs> it's hard to say. It is. And could, there was no effort to stop that? None, Joe. So this is this was the hardest thing for me, Joe, is that – so I volunteered to go to Iraq. I, I, I was inspired by 9-11. Um, I, so I volunteered to go there because I thought I was liberating the Iraqi people. And coming home and seeing that, 
in the way that so the one of the worst things you could say that happened when ISIS invaded is that they killed off the Yazidi people, which were a completely peaceful people who lived essentially in northern Iraq, Kurdistan, and these people were absolutely harmless. Um, and they came through and they killed the men and they took the women. So along with killing the, or beating up those statues, they were also completely decimating the Genocide. people themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But, and this is modern humans, which are relatively speaking are less vicious and less barbaric. I mean, if you study like Steven Pinker's work, as you go f- back in history, people are more violent. As you go forward in history, life is safer and you have less crime and less rape, less murder. So going back to your point when we were talking about the Romans and the savages and the, you know, the, the barbarians. So let's back up another 2,500 years before even them, which would be like Great Pyramid of Giza time. So isn't it fair to say that those people would have been capable of destroying and just doing their dirty work well, you know, despicable, barbaric savagery? You know what yeah. I mean? So it makes me wonder. Like, I think that there is – okay, so for example, when I was saying that there's no depictions of any kind of how they cut these stones, right. I, I think it's because someone destroyed that, honestly. I don't think it's because they didn't record it somewhere. I think it's just somewhere along the line somebody beat the shit out of it. Well, with, there's no dispute of that. That's what the, the concept of the burning of the Library of Alexander. That's mm-hmm. what most people believe. Yeah. The, the theory is that they went in there and lit everything on fire, and right. that's where all the records were. Now – out of the out of the construction that is depicted in the pyramids, is there any construction of the flooring? Like, because there's immense stones they used for just the floors. Yeah. So is there any of that? Zero, Joe. No. Literally zero. The only depiction of any kind goes from the uh, tomb of Renkare or something. If I, it's hard to pronounce, but. It just shows some guys dressing a stone and also a statue with some chisels. It doesn't show how they cut the blocks. Does it? What, what is the name of the? Uh... R e n i e k e r e, I think. But I think I'm misspelling it to be honest. Um, and it, but it doesn't show anything about cutting or anything. And 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 one of the things, Joe, is that there is different clear technology. Um, in the in the works of the Egyptians, you have some that's incredibly crude, and some of it truly megalithic and spectacular. And what I argue, and others do as well, is that simply you're looking at two different things done by different people in different periods of time that had different capabilities, and some were more impressive than others. And what's interesting is, at least as far as carbon dating, some of the least impressive stuff is the later stuff. That's what's so interesting, yeah. Joe, is that the most spectacular stuff is the oldest, yeah. and that's why, to me, I wonder. One, if the pyramids could be older, and if not, I think that our understanding – is because it's one of two ways. Either they're older and we have since, because of time and the sands of time, have lost how they did it, or our understanding of what the dy- so-called dynastic Egyptians were up to 4,500 years ago is just significantly different than what we know today. But correct me if I'm wrong, but they have carbon dated some of the material that's inside of the cracks of some of the stones. And that's what they come up with is 2500 BC. I think even Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson and Mm -hmm. Robert Schock and all these other people that are arguing for an earlier date for some of the construction, they believe that like the Great Pyramid of Giza, that that one is 2,500 BC. They certainly do. And I'm not disagreeing. It is 
possible, though, that the Egyptians had restored those casing stones. Because if you look at the Great Sphinx, it's already known. Like, so the Great Sphinx is supposed to be 4,200 years old. But something like 100 or 200 years after that is the evidence of the first restorations of adding more casing stones. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, maybe that happened to the pyramid as well. So technically, it doesn't prove that that is the birth of the Great Pyramid, but that the earliest evidence of when humans had did something to it since. But let me just say, let me be crystal clear. I'm not suggesting, and I haven't said in a video that I think that the pyramids are 12,000 years old. I just, what I think is that the the reality is that it's a mystery. We don't know how they I, did it. Can I ask you this? Like, sure. What, when they, when they, the thing about carbon dating is you don't really do that with rocks. Because if you did, everything would be billions of years old. Right. Because right? these rocks are yeah, billions of years old. Yeah, you cannot date stone. Right. So what are they, they're using pieces of material that they find at the site, under the ground, like next to it, and then they kind of get a rough idea? Sure. Is that the idea? Anything that's organic, anything that, mm-hmm. you know, anything that was, whether it's a piece wood, of wood or yeah. an ancient piece of leaf that's, you know, stuck to a rock or something. So yeah, to me, all it proves is that somebody had done something to it then. I don't think it 100% proves it was done built originally then. It's possibly re- restored it because if we know that the re- there's no discrepancy on, on the restoration of the Sphinx. In fact, it shows that it's been restored several times. Even the Romans restored it. But the earliest um, the earliest restoration was something less than that. Uh, How did the Romans restore it? What they set casing stones to it. It's actually pretty wild to see. Um, you got to see it in person or, or, or a picture of it for me to show you. But like just adding stones over it to make it look better, I guess. Like just yeah, to I know they've done in. that more recently with the paws. Significantly, it's actually. Not, it kind of sucks that they did it. I agree. I don't know why they would. It just seems so dumb that they would fuck with that and, and try to make it smooth and pretty. Like part of what's beautiful about is the age of it. But um, the Robert Shock I've had on the podcast before, he was the first geologist to stick his neck out and say that the water erosion around the temple of the Sphinx indicates thousands of years of rainfall. And like you were saying, when it comes to the Sahara, yes. uh, it's the same thing with the Nile Valley. The last time there was significant rainfall in the Nile Valley was 9,000 years ago. Yep. And then you have to look at the thousands of years of rainfall required to make these deep fissures in the stone where the the softer areas are eroded and you have these deep you know vertical fissures that indicate that water coming down from the top and leaking through have created all this stuff and so his his timeline is thousands of years before 9000 BC because yeah. it, it's required that much time to create this erosion that's very controversial around um, traditional like uh, the the Egyptologists that want to follow the conventional timeline, they come up with all sorts of alternative reasons for why these fissures exist. But one of the more fascinating things that Robert Schock did was he put uh, masking tape over the areas that would clearly indicate where this was happening. And he brought it to a series of geologists and he said, does this this image represent, in your opinion, wind and sand erosion or does it indicate water all of them said it indicated water all of them said it indicated rainfall it was and then the- and then when he pulled it aside and showed that this was actually the the sphinx they were like i'm not putting my fucking name on that <laughs> like very few of them wanted to stick their neck more have since since he's come forward more there's been many geologists that have agreed with him but initially people were very hesitant to stick their neck out 
Because in academia, which is really fascinating, challenging conventional ideas gets you in deep shit. Because even though we would like to believe that these archaeologists and scientists and historians only base their opinions on data, only base their opinions on what's in front of them, that's not true. A lot of them have a long history of teaching things that eventually turn out to be incorrect. And they are deeply embarrassed and they fight it tooth and claw. They do everything they can to discredit any idea that they could be incorrect. And it's fascinating to watch. And one of them that was fascinating to watch was John Anthony West and Robert Schock had had this conversation about the Sphinx and about the erosion of the Sphinx with this conventional Egyptologist that was working with Zawi Hawass, who was the head of antiquities. Yeah. And when they did have this conversation, the way this guy was mocking them, the way this guy was saying, where's the evidence of this civilization from 12,000 years ago capable of doing this? Like he was using your mocking voice, yeah. like using the, the voice that you use for your detractors. And it wasn't a scientific conversation. It wasn't an, a, a, like a fact-based objective analysis of all the evidence that's in front of you. It was instead this guy trying to defend these decades of of teaching. He's been writing books and papers and teaching lectures about this stuff. And it turns out he's probably really wrong. And he was fighting it with every ounce of his being. Now, since that, then the construction or then the uh, rather excavation of Gobekli Tepe uh, took place where they realized that this is undeniably at least 12,000 years old because it was covered somewhat intentionally they think they think that intentionally it was covered up that it was buried 12,000 years ago so that means well how long was this fucking thing built how long ago was this made if it was if someone intentionally covered it up 12,000 years ago how long was it around before they did that right so this is that evidence that, that guy was talking about this evidence of an advanced civilization now we know for sure there's evidence of an advanced civilization we have the actual stone structures, we have the actual carbon dating, and not just a little bit of it. We have massive amounts of it because the entire structure has been slowly excavated, and it reveals this enormous uh, series of, of, of buildings and of, of stone columns and 3D carvings that are in it. It's really a wild, wild stuff. And the idea that this was all done by unsophisticated hunters and gatherers who had time to build this in between, like, eating berries and trying to kill squirrels, like, it's, it's wild. It is. And, and, you know, there's a few things to say there, Joe. So going back to Dr. Robert Schock, so what I had heard is that when that was – when he presented that water erosion evidence of the Sphinx, apparently he was at, like, a conference of nearly 200 geologists, and everyone in the room was like, uh-huh, yeah, that's – because he did a comparison, essentially, as like, would you agree that yes. this limestone has water erosion, and would you agree that this limestone has wind and sand erosion? Right. It's a resounding yes, and it turns out he was showing you two different parts of the Sphinx. The enclosure has the water erosion, and the above the neck in the chest has the wind and sand. Yes. And what's so wild about this, Joe, is that there's still so many people in the so-called, I call them the mainstream – that are denying this water erosion. But like, this is the thing, so Jay, I don't consider myself a, a, an expert. I'm somebody that can look at, I mean, I, I know more than maybe some, but like I can look at information and think for myself on a variety of topics. Just show me, I wanna hear both sides and I can think, I can use discernment. And what's so interesting to some people who are trying to um, debunk Dr. Sh uh, Robert Schock's work, it's like, you know, because we have 
www.google.com. You can literally go and look for examples of limestone from around the world that have known water erosion and then go do the same for that wind and sand erosion. And then it's there for all who have eyes to see. The enclosure has significant water erosion. I mean, this is literally, you don't have to go to school for a bunch of years and get a, a, a doctorate in geology to at least wrap your head around that it is indeed water erosion. And the implications of it are astounding because it means that if the Sphinx is supposed to be 4,200 years old, and yet the last time the Nile Delta region had significant rainfall was nearly double the age of that, that in itself is, I mean, I would consider that to be scientific evidence that it is older. What's the hardest evidence we have, really? Geological evidence is the most, it's the most tangible because you could actually see it. It's like it's right there, and everything else they're slowly uncovering history, and as they're sl- like literally uncovering it, they're they're digging this stuff up, and particularly in Egypt, what's really fascinating is that they find these completely different b- building structures, like these uh, uh, construction methods. If you go back to the older buildings that are deeper under the ground. They have a very different style to them. Yeah. Like they use much larger stones and they, they use them like sitting on top of each other, like as like these structures and these hallways and columns. And it's like you you clearly see the difference between the stones where they laid stones next to each other and this one where there are immense stones sitting on other immense stones. There's a very specific style to them. And it seems like the more sophisticated methods are the older methods because the stones were larger. It's true. And and, and the, the reality is that what we know, the ancients were more advanced than what we give them credit for. And it, I, one thing I've seen as I've gone down this path about talking about potential lost technology is people need to realize like the word advanced is relative. When you say that they were advanced, some people will jump to the conclusion like, oh, so you're suggesting they had internet and let's go back to that voice again and Wi-Fi and other things. I'm like, Advanced is relative. It means that they had more capabilities than what we give them credit for. And yeah, it, it, it's another thing I was about to say um, is that um, – this is my train of thought on that. They, um, they, oh, yeah, technology. Technology can be anything. A saddle on a horse is technology. Yeah. When people think technology, they, some people jump and like, well, does that mean they had lasers, right. yeah, machinery and stuff? I'm like, no, it's, it just means they had a capability – that is since gone or we're just not aware of. Well, let's um, talk about the sarcophagus in the king's chamber and the way that they somehow or another carved it out because there's real evidence that there was some sort of a circular drilling tool that they used to carve out the inside of the sarcophagus and something that had an incredibly hard cutting surface. Mm-hmm. They don't know what it was, but if you go to, there's there's images of the inside of the sarcophagus, and um, they they showed that they were trying to figure out like how this thing was carved. See if the, like, uh, carving methods, circular drill, so right, type in circular, circular drill carving. There was this whole debate about how they dug it out and they think that what because it, it correct me if i'm wrong but isn't it made out of one large piece of granite correct rose granite yeah and they think that what they did was use some sort does it show it there all i remember seeing on it was rake marks like well, they, there was, was some crude sort of, there was some sort of a documentary that was pointing to some aspect of it 
that said it seemed like they used some sort of a circular drilling tool to uh, hollow out the center of this thing. What is that right there, lower left-hand corner? Copper coring drills. Copper coring drills. Look at that. Look at right there, the, the middle, middle one, one there. Yep. What is that? What the fuck is that? So that's them carving out a uh, – using that same drilling technique that you're referring yeah. to and just doing it over and over again to carve out. So there's a core grilled dran granite. So you see it right there in the lower right hand the right yeah that's it right there like look at that see yep. what is that like how do they drill that yeah so it says uh, core grilled dr core drilled granite in ancient Egypt um, and what we're looking at is something that looks like it was a circular drill that was pulling out these cylinders from the granite and how they did that and how long it took see this is an incomplete drilling which is really fascinating because you can actually see that uh it probably took a long ass time for them to do this and you see like a partially done version of it but when you see these circular cuts like that right there like what the fuck did they use some argue that they they that the that, repetition Click of these link. drill holes was done at a speed you couldn't possibly do with your own hand i mean i'm not how did they why did they say that well, so if you measure from each striation to the next, that would indicate one revolution of the drill. And oh. so some are saying that it's far quicker. And, and let me give a shout out real quick to my buddy, Ben, who I went to Egypt and Peru with. He has an awesome YouTube channel called Uncharted X. And he- Uncharted dives, X is a great channel. It, he's wonderful. One. Yeah. You, you would love to talk to him. He's, is he, he is, uh, from Australia? He Where's, is. Yeah. He lives here in the States with his wife, who are wonderful people. And I got to tell you- so like, look at he this is, right here. He gets deep into this stuff, Joe. I'm sure he does. His 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 uh, YouTube channel is incredible. So if you look at this, this is a modern tool that they're using to do the same or similar mm -hmm. uh, work. And what it is is uh, a a tool that's on this like tread or track, and it rolls in and drills as it rolls in. And they have a circle. It's these are diamond tip machines that are hydraulic pressured. And the Egyptologist claim it says right here. The Egyptologists claim that ancient Egyptians cut granite using copper saws, copper saws, water, and sand. Uh, it says fine, cutting granite, separating a stone block into two pieces. We do not doubt this; it's doable. But to reach the level of precision found in how do you say that word? Abusir, 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 abusir. Should be two words. Manual work is not enough. Not enough in terms of pressure and regularity. In order to cut granite today, we try to reach a pressure on the drilling head of 18 to 30 pounds per square inch, which is 226 to 380 pounds of pressure for a four-inch diameter drill hole. How can you apply such pressure by hand while keeping a mobile tool in order for it to actually perform the drilling? This is the question. So they're trying to figure out like, what the fuck these people use, but they use something because if you look at that, so that's a, a good example. Um, William Matthew Flinders Petrie during the late 19th century research, and he wrote that the level reached is astonishing in terms of the um, the drilled holes. So you can see the grooves. Yep. And the grooves help determine the power of the machines. Here is what you were just talking about. The space between the two grooves indicates how for um, how further the machine goes after each drilling revolution. The space between grooves and abusir are between one one twenty-fifth of an inch and one tenth of an inch. Wow. 
look at that. Look at that fucking crazy. In 1983, Chris Dunn interviewed Dr. Ronald Ron from the. Is that my saying his name right? R-A-H-N. Ron from the Ron Granite Surface Plate Company in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, Ron indicated that in order to drill granite, they were using heads drilling at a revolution speed of 9,000 revolutions per minute. Or 900, excuse me, 900 revolutions per minute, going one inch into the block every five minutes, every 300 seconds. In other words, two one, two ten thousandths of an inch for every re- revolution. The tools used by the Egyptians were therefore 180 for one tenth of an inch between the grooves to 450 for one twenty-fifth of an inch in between the grooves, times better performing than our 1983 modern technology. Fuck. That's crazy. But look at these, these, we're looking at these images, folks, of these holes that they cut into the, the granite, and you see these perfect grooves where whatever they were using, whatever kind of drill they were using, had left behind. And the fact that these drills were far better than what we had in the 1980s when they wrote this. It's worth mentioning that, see, this is another example where there's two different examples. Because I have seen examples where there's some that is primitive and you can do it with like a piece of wood and you just spend it over time. You keep grinding away and... Hold on. So don't change. Don't change. Stay right there. Keep going. And, and, and then there's a difference between you see these ones with the striations. And I'm like, because some people, you know, immediately like, no, they, they were capable of doing some drilling uh, with primitive methods. I'm like, I agree. But then you have these ones that are spectacular. And I would like to see these methods demonstrated. See, that's the thing, Joe. There's going to be some people listening to this and be like, wow, I'm sure that there's got to be an explanation. But, Joe, I can show you videos of them demonstrating saw cutting techniques that are said to have been done by the Egyptians or alleged these primitive methods. And you see how slow it is, Joe. Yeah, Jamie, stop, stop scrolling and go, go up a little bit. Look at this, what it says right here. They're, they're showing a video, and the vi- it says in this video we see a 10-inch hole being drilled in only three minutes. This is a modern video. Um, a real feat. It says, let's do the same calculation. By this time, it'll take a 12,000, uh, 1,200 rather, RPM revolution speed, 33% faster than in 1983. So what they had in 1983. So all these calculations, blah, blah, blah. Um, we're still, right now, in 1983, they were 14 times less effective than the Egyptians with grooves separated by one twenty-fifth of an inch. It says, but what does 14 times less efficient really mean? It means that while our modern diamond tips machinery completed one revolution and drilled one 360th of an inch, the Egyptian tool had already drilled one twenty-fifth of an inch 14 times more. Wow. The evidence is in front of us, Joe. This is wild shit, man. People say, you know, what's the evidence that ancients were advanced? I'm like, it's right there. Like it, that. Oh, God, here we go. This is the video they're talking about. So this is the video of them using modern equipment to drill into it and saying that this stuff that they had in 1983, that the Egyptians had something that was 14 times better. And keep in mind, again, Diamond tipped. That's what yeah. people remember. Like, so are we suggesting the ancients had that? Because that's what we're using. And they pour water over it the whole time, too. Because otherwise the thing will melt. Right. So we have zero idea how they did it. Correct. It is, but uh, we do know they did it. Someone did it. Absolutely. What's amazing is seeing that actual physical evidence. Is again, the geological evidence. I guess it's sort of geological and archaeological at the same time, yeah. right? Because they're carving into stone. Right. But seeing these carvings, the marks... 
and the fact that it's a perfect tube that they pulled the cylinder out. Yep. Uh, Jamie, will you real quick bring up my YouTube page? There's my second to most recent video. I, there's a short clip in it where I, I show you these mainstream Egyptologists, Zahi Was, Mark Lehner, the, the, the top dogs. Like Their names are cited in every textbook on these subjects. And you will see these methods where they try, these primitive methods, yeah, and they I've demonstrate. Doesn't and it's, work at all. <laughs> at all well, it's so unbelievably slow, it's not feasible to be the explanation. And let me just say, the only reason why these are the suggested methods, Joe, is because, like, well, the Egyptians were a Bronze Age culture, so they had to use bronze, and that's the end of the story. Yet there's not one single depiction, Joe. All right, that one, this where it says, this is how you know ancients. All right, that one. And just skip forward, perhaps... Um, Look at that handsome bastard. <laughs> so here's um, a, an amazing photo of how close the cuts were and about how precision uh, cut these stone slabs that were used for the flooring are. Compare that to my hotel room key. That's it's right incredible. next. That's uh, flooring tile or casings or stones, excuse me. That's right next to the Great Pyramid. There's, yeah. All right. So, Jamie, if you go back, I believe it's the first between the first minute and two minutes. Actually, the clip is. Where they're trying to recreate you it. Go forward a little bit more. Oh, look at that, by the yeah, way. Look at that sucker. 30 tons. And there's Ben, yeah. Uncharted X. Love you. There he is right there. Hi, Ben. Um, Ditch the ponytail, buddy. No, 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 no. Don't <laughs> tell him to. I know he's got to he's bring that back. He's got to keep growing his hair and he needs to lay it out. Um, keep going a little bit for <laughs> Look Jamie. at that stone with you standing in front of it. That's incredible. All right. And yeah, yeah. So that one right there is at least 50 tons and was brought from more than 500 miles away. And look at the polygonal nature of it. Yeah. Unbelievable. That's, That's rose what's granite. What's fascinating to me is that they, they chose to cut it perfectly flat with no gap, but yet uneven. This in is that it. they make these like interesting jigsaw puzzle like shapes. They're interlocked, totally yeah. earthquake proof. And um, so, Jamie, just go back a few Do you few think that's why seconds? they carved it like that? Yeah, I, that's I mean, my obviously. best guess. And that's they're just showing off because how awesome it looks. Look but at this picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this is them. This is, uh, okay, so right there, that's. The alleged method, all right, go back a few more seconds. Right there, right there. I know, it's because it's an 18-minute video. All right, right there, press pause if you could. So this is a recreation of a glyph of a painting that once existed. It was destroyed. But so this is, Joe, quite literally the only example of them even doing anything with stone depicted. There's one other stone or picture that's right next to it doing a, um, a statue. But this, just to clarify, is not showing them cut a block. And right. those are, I mean, this is, is the me measuring methods. Yeah. What, what well, do you think they're using in I, terms of like the when those guys are on their knees and they they have those things that are it's showing a line? What do you think that is? is I that think like that a level. I think that they're sh they're doing measurements in order to put in hieroglyphs because we know they did. There's actual evidence of them doing glyphs over prior work. It's on some of the statues. And so it quite literally could just be showing them carve stuff into it because I saw examples where you have this wonderful stone and then these crude glyphs carved into it. And I'm like, one of the, it's like Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. Why would the right. glyphs look like shit in comparison to a wonderful block? And that's not to say all the glyphs look like shit. Some are spectacular and were done by the Egyptians. They are the dynastic Egyptians. Let me just clarify to anyone listening. Dynastic Egyptians are the so-called ancient Egyptians we all learned about in school. My argument and others' argument is that there was people before them doing work. And, and, and something to, worth mentioning, Joe, is that the people in Egypt, uh, they believed – in what's called Kemet, the people, K-H-E-M-I-T, the people that existed before the Egyptians. And, you know, when we hear these stories about the Great Pyramid being for a tomb for the Pharaoh, 
it's worth mentioning that even the locals didn't believe that. And those theories weren't developed until the latter part of the 1800s, early 1900s by people that explorers that came in from uh, Germany, France and England. And they are the ones. So just to clarify, the, 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 the saying that the pyramids were built to be tombs for the pharaohs, that that was their purpose, wasn't even developed until 150 years ago. That's it. They were learning, they were taught Kemet. And so you've seen the Pyramid Code, right? Haven't I heard you say that a long time ago? Yes. So that's on Netflix. Uh, so the tribal elder, Akim Abdel Awian, that's in it, and he's the one teaching Kemet. So he's talking about the people before the Egyptians. And so when I went to Egypt, I went and did a tour with his one of his sons uh, named Yosef Awian, and they live across the street from the Sphinx. They, it's been passed down in the family. They're on like the fifth floor, and it, it literally, their patio overlooks the great, or excuse me, the Sphinx. And he's also a master stonemason. But that's, that's how I learned this stuff. Like they were taught, like these theories that like, oh, the pyramids were tombs, that's recent. And it was by invaders, so to speak. Like that's not something that was that, that was thought before that. And the locals in so Egypt- how, how did that become doctrine? How did it become what, what everybody teaches? So Egypt became Britain. Like this is what I'm saying. Like they got, they have quite literally been invaded and their entire government has been overthrown and redone so many times that we're even aware of. So it was already, I'm going to use the word corrupted, you know, in the 1800s, this, the, the British were going in and out of there. And so it's like this, all this, I call it the mainstream, the stuff you read about in the textbooks, which most of the documentaries and all this stuff, which is pyramids built to be tombs. This was all developed in modern times. There's absolutely nothing from the ancient Egyptians in any type of glyph that depicts well, there's only a couple examples of pyramids, but it's uh, burial sites right next to them. It's very, excuse me, very primitive. And it's like, that's it. There's nothing else showing anything about it. There's nothing depicting that pharaohs or, or, or this is the place where they were burying kings. And it's worth mentioning that when you go through inside these pyramids of Giza, that say, which are the most impressive, although the Red Pyramid and Bed Pyramid are unbelievably impressive, there's not one single glyph in any of them whatsoever. There was a, never a mummy found in any Egyptian pyramid Ever Now, that doesn't mean they weren't stolen and looted. That's possible. Um, but quite literally, the only reason why we are told this stuff is because that was the theory developed by these men that went in there, you know, uh, in the late 1800s and said, I believe these must have been for the pharaohs. That makes sense. So there's no hieroglyphs that depict it as the... The zero. Place zero. So it's all just one group of people had one theory and that theory just stuck around 100 percent, and this is the stuff like they didn't teach me that in school joe i didn't ever heard any of this i was told these were built to be tombs for the pharaohs well, how much did you learn about egypt in school not much because it's like yeah, hardly it's like not, sixth grade right yeah it's not something they teach a lot well but right if you but want if, to really study it you really have to get i mean it's but in college today, complicated subject right but all right so people that go to school for this learn history and yeah. learn archaeology and the ones that are taught about egyptology yeah that's what they're taught and uh, not only that, there was a violent reaction to the, the Robert Shock podcast that I had by some Egyptologists that, you know, mocked him and reached out and said they wanted to come on and refute what he was saying. And uh, it, was, uh, it was interesting to watch their reaction to a geologist talking mm -hmm. about erosion. I mean, that's so these the, all right. So one thing I explain to people is that there's something happening and has been happening in the scientific and academic community. It's the same thing we see in politics, Joe. It's a tribalism. Mm -hmm. People, it, it's no different than religion. Yeah. You, you you were taught something, you believe it. Not you've just invested. that, you're teaching it. Oh yeah, handing That's out. The, the big one is the teaching it. It's not you were taught because I think when people have been taught things, they're willing to adjust. But when they've spent 
decades as the expert explaining very carefully how it happened and what we know and celebrating all these people that have done this great work and shown us, you know, how these ancients did these things. And then it turns out that they're completely wrong. Well, you've been fucking kids over with <laughs> shitty education for decades. You don't want to admit it. Being wrong sucks. Nobody likes being wrong. But, but the thing about history is like, of course you're going to be wrong. I mean, what, it, what they should do is they should say, this is what we thought. So for years we were teaching this because that's what, as far as we knew, that was correct. Now we know differently. And this is what's amazing about archaeology. This is what's amazing about history. But they don't want to do that. Well, because then they would have to get rid of those books. Well, it's not just that show. All right, so they'd have to get rid of the books, but there's other implications too, which is money. Scientists and a lot of these people are making big bucks writing textbooks, handing out degrees, doing documentary opportunities, all kinds of stuff. So they've made a complete livelihood on something that is, let's say, partially incorrect. I'm not saying they're wrong about everything. Right. But like, so the implication is that it's like, there's big money around. Some of these people are making, they have done very well for themselves. And so to be wrong, it's like, oh shit. People don't be like being wrong about anything. Fuck no. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird part about being a person is that we connect our ideas with our value as a person. Yeah, you know this goes back. I like to make the comparison too to Galileo. Mm-hmm. They were gonna torture him to death. He had actual definitive evidence that we were rotating around the sun and not the other way around. And they were like, no, no. And they're gonna, yeah. Joe. They were gonna. They put him on house arrest. He had to recant everything. Yeah. Or else, and I'm well, like, that's a religious thing, though. That's the same reason why these morons broke down those ancient mm-hmm. stu- structures in Iraq. Um, when you look at the overall abundance of evidence, and it comes to Egypt, and you you factor in these people like Graham Hancock and Bouval and all these people that have looked at the the history of the structures, it seems like there's multiple kingdoms and multiple eras and that they had existed for a substantial amount of time and why was it all in that one place that's what's amazing and when when you say that these multiple kingdoms so that's the story of egypt they call it the old kingdom mm-hmm. which was followed by the intermediate period so intermediate period is essentially lost history that was an uprising it was complete overthrow of the government and you're talking the first intermediate was, like I said earlier, 126 years. Then they go by a few more hundred years, and then there was another 200-something year gap in that transition. So we were talking Old Kingdom, Intermediate Period, Middle Kingdom, Intermediate Period, and then New Kingdom. So yeah. that's the, that's my point that I'm going back to is that how can we possibly say definitively or, or they talk so definitively about, say, the Old Kingdom? And I'm like, when two other kingdoms came after who could have wiped out that history or simply because right. it's thousands of years later passed down incorrect information. Yeah, there, here's a mind blower for people. The, the amount of time between Cleopatra and the iPhone is shorter than the amount of time between Cleopatra and the construction, the established construction date of 2500 BC of the Great Pyramids. Wild, huh? It's wild. Like she, Cleopatra lived closer to the iPhone than she did to the construction of the pyramids. I wish I could go back in time and date Cleopatra. You'd go out with her? Wouldn't Is that you? what you're saying? Wouldn't you? No, she's probably gross. I, she probably didn't shave. The legends are that smelled. she was um, that she was. For then. Her looks were just okay, but her personality is what seduced oh, everyone. Oh, she, she had a great personality. Yeah, she, well, she seduced no, Julius Caesar and then Mark Antony. Like, she was going for the top dogs, and they—you should look—like, some of the, the history behind it is wild in that they 
like she she seduced these men and threw them off their path and everything. Like they, she yeah. she knew what she was doing. Well, Joe. maybe she was awesome. My point is, the last <laughs> thing I'd be interested in is going back there and having sex with somebody. I would want to go back and see what the fuck they were doing. Like, what was life like back then? Like, what 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 was ancient Egypt like? Like, what was it really truly like? There's only speculation. We we really don't have any idea. We don't have any idea what their if you want want to go back to as far as Robert Schock and Graham Hancock want to indicate, they, they, they seem to point to a time where at least the construction of the Temple of the Sphinx, we're talking 10, 11, 12,000 years ago. What the fuck was that like? And when it was green. Because I can yeah. see, show you other sources that say 4,500 years. For, I'm talking about the, the Sahara being yeah. green. Uh, Jamie, if you wouldn't mind, could you just Google Sierra green Sahara. Yeah, Sahara. Sahara? What was I saying? Sahara? Sierra. Sierra? Sounded like you are saying Sierra. Like, Sahara. Uh, being green, and you'll see these articles. Like, So the point is that, like, okay, so when you say it would be completely different, well, if the, if the Sphinx is, say, at least double the age, and I'm sure it's older, well, that's me. It was when it was green, because let's not forget, Egypt is in the Sahara Desert. Right. So I, when I see dates like 5,000 years, and they do say some of these estimates that the the entire Sahara went from green to desert and possibly within 100 years. So, and this is around 5,000 years ago that it went over the shift? Yes. And I'm like, that is so close, Joe, to this, this, these dates of the, of the Giza pyramids. Right. That makes me think that because of cataclysm and, and let's right. say real climate change on a level that we don't even wrap our minds around. I mean, think about it. North Africa or the Sahara is much larger than the uh, contiguous uh, or uh, the, the 50 states, the United States. Right. So it's like, you know, it's such a huge area. And to think that something s could have changed so dramatically mm. and what would have been erased with it, you know, um, if you find I was just looking for an article just to show viewers like I know there's live science as a number and the Smithsonian and um, National Geographic. And um, oh, I was just. Yeah, so this is, there you go. Yeah, I, was trying, I was trying to find visuals. Oh, right on. Time. There was not yeah. a ton. But. So the Sahara was green at somewhere around 5,000 years ago, which is roughly around the same time as the proposed construction date of the Great Pyramid, which is 4,500 years ago, right? Yeah, 4,600. So, yeah, right around there. And each one is supposed to, yeah. And carbon dating is a plus or minus of a few hundred years either right. way, right? So it could have been around that. There's a margin of error. Yeah. And I'm like, it's not like they have an abundance. I mean, don't quote me here, but they don't have an overwhelming substantial amount of evidence that they've repeatedly tested those dates on all this organic have matter. Have you looked like, into it? Do you know how much they did test? I thought it was one little thing. If I remember, I thought it was a little piece of wood or whatever it was. It's like, aha, aha, here well, it let's, is. Let's Google that. Yeah. Let's find out how, what did they test? Oh, yeah, I was getting into that. Yeah, what did they test to uh, to date the construction of the pyramids? I started finding something about a piece of a boat. I think they thought they found. Mm. Oh, that's um, an... Well, you know, it's it's just... It's just amazing. It really is amazing. And it's hard for us to imagine. I think it's hard for us to imagine a thousand years. I think we kind of get it. Oh, a thousand is ten hundreds. I think we kind of get it. Right. But I think it's one of those things that gets lost in the mind of how actually how long that is in terms of like if you are alive for a thousand years. Like fucking what a dreary amount of time <laughs> that is. And I then know. you think of 4,500 years ago. Or whatever it was when they were actually building that thing, and maybe it's much much longer. I mean, maybe maybe you're right, and maybe the construction, maybe rather the the measurement is of a very small piece of material, 
and maybe they don't have the evidence that so could show what it really was. Interview on Nova on PBS, and uh, I don't know the exact date of this interview, but this is where uh, he talks about. Okay, right here. Study. <clears throat> it says uh, when it comes to carbon dating, do you need organic material? And Lehrer says, right, there uh, has been radiocarbon dating or carbon fourteen dating done in Egypt, obviously before we did our studies. And it's been done on some material from Giza, for example, the great boat that was found just south of the Great Pyramid, which you think belongs to Khufu, and that was radiocarbon dated coming in at about 2600 BC. See, this is what I mean. That doesn't prove jack shit for the age of the Great Pyramid right. being built. So let's keep going, because it says, Nova says, uh, but how do you carbon date the pyramids themselves, and they're made out of stone and inorganic material? And Lerner says, uh, we had the idea some years back to radiocarbon date the pyramids directly. As you say, you need organic material in order to do carbon-14 dating because all living creatures, every living thing takes in carbon-14 during its lifetime and stops taking in carbon-14 when it dies. And then the carbon-14 starts breaking down at a regular rate. So in effect, you're counting the carbon-14 in an organic specimen. And by virtue of the rate of the disintegration of the carbon-14 atoms and the amount of carbon-14 in a sample, you can show how old it is. So how do you date the pyramids? Because they're made out of stone and mortar. Well, in the 1980s, when I was crawling around on the pyramids, as I used to do and I still do, I noticed the contrary, that contrary to what many guides tell people, even the stones of the Great Pyramid of Khufu are put together with great quantities of mortar. We're looking, you see, at the core. A pyramid is basically, most basically, two separate constructions. It's an outer shell of very fine polished limestone with great accuracy in its joints, but most of that's missing. And some of and the other construction is in the inner core, which is filled in this shell. Since most of the outer casing is missing, what you see now is the step-like structure of the core. The core was made with a substantial slop factor, as my friends who's a mechanic likes to say about certain automobiles. That is, they didn't join the stones very accurately. You see the great spaces between the stones, and you can actually see where the men were up there, and they didn't, you know, they may have like four or five, even six inches between two stones. And they jammed down pebbles and cobbles and some broken stones and slopped big quantities of gypsum mortar in there. I noticed that in the inter, inter, interstices, how do you say that? That's a weird word. Interstices? Yeah, I don't know. Between the stones and this mortar was embedded organic material like charcoal, probably from the fire they used to heat the gypsum in order to make the mortar. Uh, you have to heat raw gypsum or dehydrate it, and then you rehydrate it in order to make the mortar, uh, like with modern cement. So it occurred to me that we could take the small samples, we could radiocarbon date them, not with conventional radiocarbon dating, uh, but recently there's been a development in carbon-14 dating where they use atomic accelerators to count the disintegration rate of the carbon-14 atoms atom by atom. So you can date extraordinarily small samples. So we set up a program to do that, and it involved us climbing all over the old kingdom pyramids, including the ones at Giza, taking as much in the way of organic samples as we could. We weren't damaging the pyramids because there's tiny flecks. It's a very strange experience to be crawling over a monument as big as Khufu's looking for a bit of charcoal that might be as big as a fingernail on your small finger. We noted not only the samples of charcoal, sometimes there was reed. 
and now and then in some of the pyramids we found little bits of wood but we saw in many places even on the giant pyramids of Giza the first pyramids and the second pyramid and the third one fragments of tools bits of pottery that are clearly characteristic of the old kingdom and it occurred to us you know that these are not just objects these the pyramids themselves were archaeological sites during the time they were being built if it took 20 years to build them how the fuck they build that in 20 years uh, and now begin to think that Khufu may have reigned during double the length of the time that we traditionally assigned them. People were building the Great Pyramid over three decades. It was, occupied, it was an occupied site as long as some campsites that hunters and gatherers occupied that archaeologists dig out in the desert. Okay, we're getting really Do you long feel, this. Yeah, what is your impression right now when you're reading this? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking they're, they're basing this on what was in the cracks of these pyramids that they could find. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's how it was initially built. Right. So it could, it could really mean. First of all, the reason why there is these uh, these great gaps and that they could see these great gaps in the outer in the core is because they stole the structure on the outside of it. The limestone, the smooth polished limestone, was stolen. They raided these motherfuckers throughout history. You know, like these people that destroy the stuff in Iraq. They. The pyramids used to be covered in smooth limestone, but they jacked all that stuff. They stole it and they used it to build Cairo. Mm -hmm. It's it's wild that there's there's buildings throughout Cairo that are made out of the pyramids. <sighs> it's crazy. Hey, here's something else worth bringing up though, Jamie. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, if you could like find it in the news articles. This is a just a year old where they found. So there was pieces of wood that were taken out of behind a block inside the Great Pyramid. And this thing stayed in some um, lost in a England uh, museum for the last more than a century, but they just recently found it and dated that wood, and it's more than 500 years older than the alleged date of the of that Great Pyramid. So mm. now that doesn't prove that the pyramid is older, and this is assuming that it was indeed. I mean, this is documented. So all right, so here we go. Yep, Great Pyramid lost Egyptian artifact found in an Aberdeen cigar box. So a long-lost Egyptian artifact has been found in a cigar box in Aberdeen and is hoped it could shed new light on the Great Pyramid. So a small fragment of the 5,000-year-old wood, which is now in several pieces, is said to be highly significant. So here's something else that's pretty crazy to think about when it comes to uh, dating. What I had read, I don't know if it was this article or another one, but they had a, a, a margin of error within closer to 800 years for this wood. So I'm like, wait a second. So you're saying it could be closer to 6,000 years old? Yeah. They don't even know. Like, And that's but okay. But isn't that 800 forward as well? Yeah. So it could be 4,200? Sure. Yeah. Yep. It, so it, 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 it doesn't prove anything. And there's can, some other explanations I read. Like they said, like, well, maybe because wood was more scarce out there that maybe this wood was already 500 years old when it was used for the construction of the pyramid, which I, I have doubts on that, Joe. 500-year-old piece of wood being used to construct the pyramid. I don't know about that. Um, but, you know, it, who knows? All I know is that it could possibly be indicative of that it was older. Maybe. Maybe so not. Picture with it that shows the outside of the... Mm pyramid like you were just yeah talking about. see that's what it used to look like and so they 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 fucked all that up when they were stealing the outside stones so the outside limestone so who knows what they did in terms of patching it up right and and it's worth mentioning that some of the theories it's believed that maybe there was a large earthquake that originally knocked them all down and then they were looted from there 
Um, and this, this, but I don't know. You were talking about Rome, Joe. I, I've never heard you mention the pyramid there. Have you? Did you see it when you were there? Or no. did you know there was one there? Because when you're talking about restoration of a pyramid, I stumbled across this pyramid oh. in Rome that Whoa. they yeah, restored that... within the last couple of years that didn't look this clean. Try to find it. Why There's an older picture of it. Leave it alone, you fucking apes. I know. Yeah. People will say, like, we need to preserve it and rebuild it to preserve it. I'm like, no, show me as it is. Yeah, why would they preserve that? God, I think, you know what it is? I think Italians. some people just want to put their hands on stuff, Joe. Yeah, they definitely do. We're going to clean it. Wow. See, well, it looked, it actually it looked, nice. it looked kind of Oh, know, they dirty. just cleaned it. Yeah, they yeah, just cleaned yeah, yeah. it. But I mean, leave it dirty, man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that dirt is part of the charm. Yeah, it's, it, I, it's part of what makes it look fucking amazing. Yeah. So and this pyramid is how old? 2,000 years, it says. Whoa. It's pretty interesting that, so not only did they raid Egypt, they went home and wanted to build a pyramid themselves. Yeah. A little shitty one. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's way smaller. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's tiny. Easy to miss. That's why I thought. Yeah, you it. I don't think I saw it. You know, the Great I don't Pyramid. I saw it. Fucking beautiful, though. The Great Pyramid at its height was equivalent to a forty-seven-story building today. And hmm. I compare that to in Phoenix. So I'm from Phoenix, and the Chase Tower is the tallest building in Arizona, and it's almost it's within a couple feet of the same height, like four hundred eighty-one feet original height for the Great Pyramid, almost the same as Chase Tower. And when so when you're in a skyline in different you know, places throughout the world. And look, you know, a 50-story building stands out, and this thing is 755 feet wide at its base. It's a freaking behemoth. I used to have a bit about the construction of the pyramids, and it was basically that what what happened was the dumb people outfucked the smart people, and that's why, like, the people that were left behind had no idea how it was built, and they just said, oh, we built this. Yep. But if you, but one of the things that I pointed out I'm pretty sure my math is wonky, but it's close. That the Great Pyramid of Giza has two million three hundred thousand stones. The precision cut again. Some of them, like the King's Chamber ones, from five hundred miles away. If you cut and place ten stones a day, it would take you six hundred and sixty-four years to make that pyramid. And they think this guy made it in twenty years. Yeah, they would have to do something. Then, because estimates vary, because it depends how many hours a day they're working. But it's literally one stone. You'd have to do one stone approximately every four minutes to make that happen. And so did you hear what they just said in that prior article where, like, Khufu? Uh, maybe his reign was double what we thought. So, Joe, they're— right. t- they're Four-year reign. They don't even know, and it val- validates the point I'm making, which is that because of all the list, lost history since then, like, how—they they don't—what's that based off of? Like, yeah. And I, it's okay to not know something, but the so, reality is that they just don't know. So much guesswork. It's so fascinating. It's fun. That's why I like it, these topics. Just, I, I do. I love these topics. I, what I really love is that there was this one place that was so much more advanced than everywhere else. This one part of Africa where civilization had reached this incredible level. Like, their construction methods— the sophistication in as, as far as the alignment to constellations, I mean, and some of it is, it's speculative, you know, when they talk about like the, the equinoxes and, you know, Graham Hancock points to where the, the Sphinx is facing the constellation Leo, um, that that wasn't, it was like 10,500 BC that that was happening, that, that they, they think that the Sphinx was facing the constellation Leo. Well, this procession of the equinoxes, which is a wobble of the Earth, that is a, I think it's a 25,000-year wobble. Yeah, closer to 20, it's like 25,920 year, I call it the great year. Oh, okay, great. Thank you. So this wobble 
if you take that to when those the Sphinx would be looking at Leo previously, now you're talking about thirty five thousand years ago, which is wild. Which is the, the mind fuck of mind fucks. Like if that is the like if you look at the distinct fissures that. If they really were, if Robert Chalk is correct and these geologists are correct, and that really is the result of thousands and thousands of years of water erosion, like, okay, how many thousand? Is it five? Is it 10? Is it 20? Are you, ta- are you looking at 25,000 years of water erosion? Like, what, is that a 35,000-year-old structure? Is it possible? And people will scoff at this. But we were scoffing at 15,000 years ago just a little while ago. Just a few decades ago, until Go Beckley Tepe came around, and you have clear, definitive evidence of something that's at least twelve thousand years old. That was nonsense. Just a few years ago, yep. what, in the nineties, it was nonsense. Yep. But now we know one hundred percent that's a fact. What the fuck were they doing twenty years prior to that? Right. And if this is really thirty-five thousand years old, or whatever it is, like. My God, like how long has civilization been around and how many times has it been reset? When you talk about this younger Dryas impact theory, especially when you talk about it with Randall Carlson, it opens up a whole world of speculation because Randall Carlson's evidence is spectacular, well-researched, and he has a deep, deep knowledge of both the timeline and the erosion to the landscape that occurred in spectacular fashion because of massive floods. When then you look at these legends like Noah's Ark or the Epic of Gilgamesh, and you you hear about these stories of floods and of cataclysms, it's it's something that is it's a core part of almost every ancient civilization's lore. When they talk about the history of their culture, you, you talk, they talk about these cataclysmic events that reshaped the, the society and that people emerged from the darkness and restarted the world, you know, like Noah and his children. Do you want to hear something that, that's crazy that goes along with that? Yes, I do, Jimmy. <laughs> you bet. All right, so <laughs> the CIA, in the, this is decades ago, in the 50s, discussed something called the Adam and Eve story. So anyone can go to CIA.gov, go to Freedom of Information Library, and you can look up what's called the Adam and Eve story written by a doctor named Chan Thomas back in the 50s. And this details the destruction, repeated destruction of mankind, and it even has the year 11,500 in it. And it's worth – or 11,550, and keep in mind this was written more than 50 years ago. So it, it coincides with 11,600 time frame decades before we were talking about a younger driest possibility. Where, where is this, what's this based on? So, well, that's a great, that's part of the mystery, Joe. Now this, and let me also say this, what's, they declassified, this is like a handful of years ago, they declassified that. So we have no understanding though, what's not declassified is why the CIA was discussing this book in some top secret meeting, although every meeting in the CIA is technically top secret. Everything they do is top secret. But so it details that destructions, so it basically says that there's a micronova that goes off in the earth routinely. And what it does a is- A micronova? Essentially that there's a, a, a quite literal, 
fusion explosion that the earth essentially it's like a hiccup and it causes continental displacement it causes rapid movement of continents as well as um, continental sized tidal waves that just wash everything away and that's that says why there's no evidence for any of it left over because it quite literally wiped a vast portion of the earth clean now so I'm not this was a theory from 50 years ago correct that the cia was putting around yes was there any scientific backing of this yes so what's it all right so the you know what they cite in there is those woolly mammoths that were died off in mass quantities and mm. still had food in their mouths yeah that's joe that's in there i remember hearing i don't know if it was you or that's or, randall carlson yes yeah so this book was written in i think 1957 it was classified in 1963 not classified. the book well, hold on, let me rephrase the book was not classified the cia discussed it and that was classified so this book was pretty much little known um but if you literally google or, or you could bring it uh, well it used to come up at the top of google but now you got to go duck duck go or you can go to cia.gov isn't that crazy yeah, it's unfortunate when you, when you see how google curates information when you go to google things type bright insight jimmy no longer comes up on there and they see <gasps> a few pages in i'm offended why so do you think they're hiding you are they scared that I'm you're not... gonna tell the truth it's probably related what's that for when I'm looking up this book, there's also a claim that Jesus was a genius from India and was abducted by Vishnu, two angels. No, nah, I don't know if that's written in there, but what it does say is that Jesus, Osiris, and Vishnu were all the same person. It says that mm. these stories passed down. Yeah, no, no. Will you? Um, I just was another section of the book. Thomas also claims that Jesus was abducted by aliens. That's Holla. not in there. That's not in there. That's, that's no. Okay. I've read the entire document. Uh, Jamie, we just go. Well, hold on. Where does this coming from? Is this a Daily Star? Yeah, yeah Daily Star. Oh. Disinformation. Listen, it's not true. Hey, Daily, okay. No, no. Listen, I'm not. I'm mad at you, Jamie. You know I love <laughs> I know, you. I know. Um, the section of the book. Thomas also claims that Jesus was abducted by aliens on Easter Sunday. Oh God, that's so silly. Doesn't. It says the two angels came to Earth in their space vehicle to take care of the aftermath of Jesus' crucifixion. <laughs> and then it goes on to say, this sounds like someone was just having fun releasing a this is uh, Daily Star. Daily Star is, is uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's like a tabloid. Yeah, tabloid, yeah. yeah. It's like the Inquirer. It could be me running that site. It's Bob's right. website. It's no different. They just yeah. call it the Daily Star. I could be like the Daily whatever and, and then just make my own thing. But yeah. if you go to the document itself, that's not in there. I read the damn thing. Mm. I made a whole video on it. it. It's it's pretty interesting, Joe, because it lists a lot of other cataclysmic events, and it's saying that this is the reason why we don't have understanding. And it even cites uh, the Great Pyramid of Giza as being, quote, an enigma. And I like that because it is an enigma. Let's pause right here because i got to pee. Okay, so let's, let's do it. So let's talk about this when we come back. We'll talk about this, uh, this Adam, Adam and Eve story. Thing. Right on. Classified by the yep. CIA. We'll be right back. Thank you. And we're back. I had to pee. I was holding it as much as I can, but I drank a lot of water today, unfortunately. I was holding it as well, so that was lovely. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. Like you're trying to concentrate, but you also have to pee. It's not good. Sometimes it's better to just pee. So this CIA thing about Adam and Eve, what was the purpose behind this? Like, why did they publish this? So just to clarify, they did not publish it. Uh, some doctor named Chan Thomas, who's a mysterious figure in himself because it's hard to find a lot of info, although keep in mind this is back in the... 50s, so it's hard to find info. So he published it? He published it, and then for unknown reasons, the Central Intelligence Agency discussed it in a meeting and classified that meeting, although let me just clarify, everything the CIA does is technically classified. A lunch right. meeting is classified. Nothing's available right. to the public. Right. But then it wasn't. Into, it was kept secret for, for decades up until, I want to say it was 2012 or 2013, it was desanitized and released. And so the big question for me is, 
why were they discussing it? And the fact that there's certain details in it that are corroborated by scientific evidence that we've gathered in the last couple decades, say, for example, that 11,600-year younger Dryas. Um, and essentially, I mean, so to me, I'm like, this is, it's highly fascinating. What's that about? I'd like to know why they were chatting about it. I'd like to know what their conclusions were. None of that's available to the public. They declassified their this with absolutely no context whatsoever. Hmm. Same thing with the Rishot structure. They studied that as well. They did covert surveillance back in the 60s. They flew over it in a million different directions. And, and you can find that on CIA.gov. I made a video about this earlier this year. It was like a follow-up to the Rishot Atlantis theory where I gave a more compelling argument. And what was so interesting about this, Joe, is that there's a huge part of it, a page and a half that's redacted, and it's the entire context. It says, although the um, information from the scientific study will be world, uh, available to worldwide scientific community, <gasps> totally blank after that. You, I, could sh- I could show you a screenshot you, of it. What, did they have a premise, like the, why they were going studying yes. it? For, they were looking for geomagnetic or, excuse me, geoelectric um, or geo-anomalies. Uh, 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 and so it was one of like 12 or 13 sites from, or 15 that were from around the world they studied. So it wasn't just that one. But, Joe, what's so interesting about it is that well, uh, Atlantis was said to have had special properties. Like it had, uh, you know, springs of water of, that were warm and cold. And it was said to be special according to the uh, Poseidon who had created it. And um, But what's interesting about this, Joe— is not just the fact they studied it, but the fact that there's the entire context of it is still classified to this day. Now, let me be clear. Nothing in that document says anything about ancient history or Atlantis, nothing like that. But this site was studied. We already discussed how unusual it is. Neither one of us had heard about it till recently. And if there's one comment that stuck out that had thousands of comments on these videos, like, how have I never heard of this Rishot structure before? And... If you were to, Jamie, if you were to bring up my video from May of this year, and there's a certain part of it that shows a screenshot of this part that's redacted, I want you to see this, Joe, because it's it's the entire context of the scientific study itself is classified today. And this is from what year? Um, I want to say 1963. I got to double check. I sometimes mm. mix up my dates, but but it was yeah. That Maybe time it frame. says, "By the way, we killed Kennedy." Probably it's okay. in there. <laughs> Just, oh. I'm looking on the CIA's website as I was trying to find your thing, but this is kind of interesting. I feel like uh, it does yeah. talk about how it's declassified in part, but a sanitized copy has been approved for release. Yeah, and that's the, so that's the Adam and Eve story. Just to clarify, he's referring to Adam and Eve story, not the Rishot structure. Two different things. Wow. This is on the website for the CIA's sanitized copy. Yeah, kinda do you want to click on that PDF just to? Oh, I was already trying. It's hard to look through. I mean, it, right? But I meant just so you see what it looks like. Just for how weird is that? That the CIA had a fuck. What? Whoa! Back up. What the fuck is that? Cross section of Earth. Yeah, it's, it's, they're saying that the internal, the part, the 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 whole premise of this thing is that the Earth, that something happens inside the Earth routinely, periodically, right? Yep. They say it's the where the legends of Noah's flood comes from. They, 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 they oh, so this was what they were throwing around before the Younger Dryas impact theory. Yes. Now scroll down. The skip these pages the real quick because these are these are unrelated. Yeah, now, all right, right there, hold on, go up a couple. Sorry. Yeah, so, all right, right there. Like Noah's Flood, like Adam and Eve's story, this too will come to pass. Now, this is just like the opening to it. So they thought that this was going to happen again. Well, 
Look at this. In California, the mountains shake like ferns in a breeze. The mighty Pacific rears back and piles up into the, a mountain of water more than two miles high, then starts its race eastward. The With the force of a thousand armies, the wind attacks, ripping, shredding everything in its supersonic bombardment. The unbelievable mountain of the Pacific seawater follows the wind eastward, burying Los Angeles and San Francisco as if they were but grains of sand. So this is written as a story in something else worth mentioning is that it says that that happened because because of this event the mm. earth essentially stands still for a moment which causes the wind and the forces of momentum to continue to go at a at a unprecedented what a weird theory it's crazy and i'm not what? saying it's necessarily true no but what's interesting is that it's talking about destruction of mankind and yeah. it's very specifically says this is the reason why we don't know our ancient past and I find it interesting that the Central Intelligence Agency was discussing this. Well, That's they probably fun. had some sort of inkling that some of the stories from ancient civilizations about cataclysmics, cataclysmic disasters probably had some merit to them. Right. And they were probably trying to protect us or at least protect the president, put him in a bunker. Yeah. You want to hear something fun I'm going to do? I was going to keep it to myself, but I keep pushing it off. So maybe the Internet will help us do it. I want to find. Well, I've already looked into it briefly, and it was really complicated because it's hard. It doesn't fall into any of their categories. But I want to do a Freedom of Information Act request on the Great Pyramid of Giza. I want to see if the CIA has ever, or any of the intelligence communities, or uh, have ever even just looked into it. Because to me, I'm like, if 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 that thing was more than just a tomb for the pharaohs, it seems to me that the true powers that be that have unlimited resources would study it and have a theory of it in themselves. And so I want to see if they've ever looked into it at all. Isn't that a good idea? Yeah, it's a good idea. Internet, let's, let's do it. Because I went on to submit it, and it's like there's a bunch of categories you could submit, and nothing applied. So I'm like, I need to talk to somebody to figure out. Because Freedom of Information Act requests are free. Anyone can do it. We have right. a right to do it. Yeah. The only thing you pay for is if you want them to print out pages, and it's like that's cheap as hell. It's like it's not even a factor. So this, there, there, if you have a story about this idea that the earth has some sort of a nova effect and things explode and the earth stands to, if they were thinking that they had to and if they were looking at the richard structure they had to be looking at the pyramids too they had to try to figure out what the hell what the hell's going on there wouldn't you think i would th i would think yeah. so if i put this way if i was running the cia i'd be looking at all kinds of crazy stuff too and that would be one of them yeah no doubt. No doubt. I'm, I'm in really interested this whole Adam and Eve thing. So they think that this happened and that civilization got brought down to its knees and brought to a small amount of people. But they were kind of right, right? Like if you think about uh, super volcanoes, like those do happen. And yeah. if they really did think that that was some sort of a volcano, that the, the Richard structure was some sort of a volcano that had erupted and cooled and erupted and cooled, and if there was some sort of volcanic activity that was still going on under the surface, that would account for the idea that Atlantis was saying there was water that was cool and also water that was hot in the same area, much like you get in Yellowstone, right? Like you yeah. get these cool lakes, but then you also get like Old Faithful, these geysers of hot water and these, these. I mean, there's these ponds that people have fallen into and never seen again because they get melted. Yeah. I think it makes it even more compelling. Now, some people will say, like, well, it's a natural formation, so it can't be, because as Plato describes it, is that it was created by Poseidon. I'm like, Poseidon can mean Earth. It was created by God or, or, or right. just universe. So to me, I'm like, in the fact of its very size that Atlantis was described at, I'm like, it would make far more sense that it was a geological formation, because that's what we do today. We build on geological formations all the time. Have you been to Yellowstone? 
I actually haven't, which is a real shame because I lived in Boise, Idaho. Pretty close, yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It's um it's really interesting. It's first of all, it's kind of it's kind of bizarre because the animals are they're like they have no fear of people because they've been sort of um habitualized. So like you go by especially because they've released wolves into Yellowstone years ago. So the elk have decided it's a smart thing to go around where the people are all the time. So if you go near like this visitor center, there's like uh, there's a photo that I took. I think I put it on Instagram. It's me taking a selfie next to uh, a soda machine and behind me is a whole herd of elk just hang- hanging out I'm like, "Ha." Ah. Um, I might not have put it on this. I'm not, I'm not sure if I did. But the, these elk are like basically like town deer. You ever been around town like uh, Colorado? If you go to like Evergreen, Colorado, there's uh, mule deer that just wander through the town. Yeah. And some of them are fucking these massive like trophy mule deer. Like if you were in the mountains and you were hunting, that would be a deer that you would be like stoked, a deer of a lifetime. And then they're just wandering down Main Street in Evergreen because they know that people are not dangerous there. That people basically go, oh, look at you. And they give them food and they take pictures of them. So all the animals in Yellowstone have been habitualized. So when you walk around there, I mean, that's why people always get launched in the air by buffalo. These fucking knuckleheads, they think that it's okay to get close to the bisons and they fucking- (laughs) I I love those videos, Joe. These people get knocked. I don't want to see anyone get killed, but these people are so dumb. And it's always a recurring theme where they're so unathletic. I'm like, you can even run away from this thing. You're you're done. Nobody can. You can't. You ain't running away from a bison. (laughs) But there's the saddest one. A little nine-year-old girl got launched into the air. I'm like, oh my God. Like, you let your nine-year-old get that close to a bison, you fucking idiot. Yep, but um, my point is, the rest of Yellowstone is absolutely fascinating because there's this weird smell that comes out of these all these uh, geological formations because they're basically what you're looking at is a caldera volcano. It's an immense volcano that's happening right now. It's underneath the surface. There's all this volcanic activity, and every six to eight hundred thousand years, it erupts. And when it does, it's a continent killer. I mean, if it does erupt, we are fucked. This whole country is fucked. Everybody on this country is essentially dead. If you want to live, you better get to New Zealand and pronto. Because everybody living here is a goner. Yeah. It, it blows, and when it blows, it kills everything. And it happens every six to 800,000 years. And the last time it happened was 600,000 years ago. And even if you dis- if you survive the initial you know eruption, the ash that's going to cover thousands of miles away, feet deep, like that's going to that your car, everything you're going to be, it's going to destroy the water. It's going to compl- it's going to turn into acid. It's going to even if you survive the initial eruption, you're still fucked. Yeah, and then you live in nuclear winter because the sky is going to be covered in ash, and no sunlight will get through, no food will grow. Well, they believe that. Oh, God, I keep forgetting where this happened. Um, But somewhere around 70,000 years ago, they believe that civilization got brought down to just a few thousand people by a super volcano that happened in some island somewhere. Toba. The Toba super eruption of 72,000 years, I believe. Is that what it was? T-O-B-A. What's that near? What's that near that we'll call it today? Uh, I thought that was... Some islands. Like... Isn't that east of Africa, am I thinking? Or is, that, or is it Polynesia down there in the... Um... I want to say it's down there. Yeah. yeah. It's the South Pacific? I, I don't, don't remember. 
I'm trying to remember. It's at the tip of my tongue, but I can't, I can't recall it. But wherever this was, they're really pretty sure, and I think this is based on genetic evidence, that at some point in time, civilization got brought down to like six or 7,000 people. I've heard this. Which is wild. It is. And it's pretty scary. Um, and you know the thing is, Joe, so here we are talking about cataclysmic events. And it's like so – like there's plenty of people that are into this topic. It's fun. But a vast majority of people walking down don't even want to hear about it. I think it scares people, even like the scientific community because – Fiji Islands? Mm, Indonesia. Indonesia. Mm. There it is. Yeah, okay, that makes Lake sense. Toba. Toba. Yeah. So this super volcano, massive volcanic crater – Lake uh, amid tranquil mountain scenery, nearby amenities like restaurants. They have restaurants. Is there any all inclusives there? Bring it up, Jeremy. Yeah, you can go there and stay in a nice resort and get a massage. And it's right where civilization almost died, and we we almost killed off everybody. I mean, seven thousand people is not much, especially when you think about how many predators were around. That could have been the end of us, especially sixty, seventy thousand years ago when you're. Basically hunting with these things, like this arrowhead. How, how old is that? Is that a legit? Uh... Yeah, it's legit. It's a legit one from Texas. Um, I wow. don't know how old it is. I would imagine it's hundreds of years old. May I touch just it guessing. just to yeah, feel yeah, it? Yeah, it's real. Thank you, Joe. It's a real arrowhead. That was on a real arrow that hopefully somebody got their dinner with. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, really elegantly constructed. Uh, I'm doing some re- a little bit of research on that book, the mm-hmm. uh, Adam and Eve story. Hmm. Apparently, a lot of people do have a copy of it. Yes, oh. yes. The co- let me clar- clarify. It was not the book itself was not classified. Correct. Yes, and the, they do have the mystic version of it, and I don't know that I can see that they found anything strange. Oh, in the redacted pages, they Correct. have the redacted pages of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, that reminds me. Uh, one of my friends, Johanna James, has a YouTube channel. She explores these topics, and I believe she had made a video update sharing those details. And it's all interesting, um, but the most interesting of, of everything was in that book anyway. I don't, there was nothing that stood out to me from that the missing stuff, actually, that was, to me, suggested something dirty. But it's funny that the CIA redacted. They probably just figured, you know, people are dopes. Let's keep this from them. Like, whatever it was. What, what, was the, what did they think was interesting about the redacted stuff? I just even, like, they. Uh, I'm trying to find, digging through, like, comments of people that have been looking into this from a couple years ago. They, they, they said this could have just been like a, a dump and they could have scanned everything in mm. the CIA because they were talking about the handwritten notes on certain pages and like why why does this have a handwritten note on it? Right. Because someone just wrote it. The guy right. who owned the book wrote down his grocery list or something like that. Mm. Lots of weird reasons. But that doesn't it doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's just it's they're trying to discover. How much time did you spend when you were in Egypt? So I've been there twice in the last year. I'm very blessed to say that. So I was there for 17 nights from November, December of 2020, which was awesome, traveling at that period of time during the midst of all the lockdowns and everything else. And then I was there for just under a week in uh, September, October this year. And oh, I, yeah. pretty recent. Yeah. Um, and then I went to Peru in August uh, with a lovely man, Brian Forrester, who's been giving tours. He's been to... Uh, because he lives in Peru. He's been to Machu Picchu more than 70 times. The Egyptian tours, did you go with a guide? Did you, yeah? That Yusuf Awiyan. So um, it's called the Kemet School. And his, well, I should say ex-wife, uh, runs it. And so it's all based on the teaching of his father, which is, again, uh, Akim Abdel Awiyan, who was in the Pyramid Code. So it's based on the, the tribal knowledge that was passed down. And, and by the way, um, it's worth mentioning that he had, Akim, 
when he was a kid, he had went in a tunnel from Saqqara, Egypt to Giza, which is eight miles as the bird flies. That's like, that's, that doesn't, that's not supposed to exist. That according, like, there's no evidence of this, but like, he did it. I mean, I'd have no reason to doubt him. I didn't, I mean, but there's, it's already been known that there's like a labyrinth within Egypt, that there's subterranean. What do you mean that's not supposed to exist? Did he document it? Does he have photos of this thing? No. We're talking a, a poor Egyptian kid that did it in like the 1950s or something like that. And we don't know where this is? No. However, there's, you, so this is the weird thing about Giza, my friend, is that there's something called the Osiris Shaft, which is located directly under the causeway between the Sphinx and the Second Pyramid. And it goes about 100 feet underground. It's carved out of the limestone bedrock. It's the creepiest place I've ever been in my life. It's f- disturbing. It's Why is it w- disturbing? I don't know, Joe. Well, there's human bones in there. I stepped on it. I didn't even know. What? Yeah. How old are the bones? Well, I... Not sure, but um, I was someone had told me like n- not super ancient, like something like people in more modern times, maybe a hundred years ago, fell down there or something. But um, and I got to go in there. But so here's that's the, the shaft right there. No, that's not it. Oh no, that yes, that's the entrance into it, and then you go straight down from there. God, look at the line of people. Yeah, you got to pay two thousand dollars to look get in there. They're fucking floating around. It's everywhere. Potato chip bags, really? So that's the first shaft. So it's three different shafts. And you go down, and here's where it gets—this is the crazy part. When you get to the third level, which is completely dark and freaky, there was a side tunnel. Zahi Awas himself, there was a documentary—it was either 96 or 99—he went down there with—like, it was a Fox documentary. And he showed—he's standing in front of this tunnel that went sideways, and he says, it's yet to be explored, and we—I don't know what's down there, and I'm thinking— the hell you don't know what's down there. Like, you never walked down there. But, Joe, they've since sealed it up. It's like cinder blocks. They sealed it up. What? Yes. So there is... So there's, What? Swear to God. Why would they seal it up? That's a really... I, hey, Joe, I, I really want to know that, that the answer to that question. What? That doesn't make any sense. So, all right. So here... This ties into, like, the same thing about the this eight-mile tunnel connecting from, from Saqqara to Giza, which is... Couldn't find, couldn't tell you where that is today, but we already know that they were doing shit underground. When you look at the Osiris shaft and you can look at Zahi Hawass, by the way, let me just say, I love you, Zahi. Uh, I would love to work with the Egyptian antiquities and go do some tours and bring light and bring tourism to Egypt. Let me be clear, because like this is a sensitive topic. These people, you know what I mean? I'm not dissing Egypt in their knowledge or, or the people running the show. I would love to work with them. I have my own little ideas and it's but, all fun. But. But, but like, it's the same thing. Like, they excavated the Sphinx, and there was always said to be tunnels under there, and and they're there. I made this is my most recent video, um, and there was no pictures ever released to the public, and some dude snuck down in there and took some photos. You can't see much, but what you know is that there are things that have gone underground in Egypt that, for whatever reason, Joe, is just off limits to the public, completely off limits. Is there any speculation as to why it would be off limits? All, it's all conspiratorial. Like, I'll always, okay, only I, my best guesses, anyone else's best guesses, but but some suggest that the Egyptians had one underground cataclysm and that people were doing things underground in the same way that we saw in Cappadocia of Turkey, where there's those many underground cities. For example, uh, Darren Kuyu, they go like 15 levels underground. Have you so heard of this? Went, no, so they went underground during the cataclysm. This is the idea that, like, Somewhere around 12,000 years ago, like whenever this Younger Dryas impact theory. That's what make the most sense to me. Now, if you look at Darren Kuyu and those underground cities, they claim, like modern academics say, oh, they probably built these to defend themselves against invaders. And I'm like, hang on a second. If you're being invaded, you don't have time. Let me, oh, I forgot to say this. Some of these cities can support 
50,000 people. This. What? What is that? See, and the fact you haven't even heard of this, Joe, is, is this is what I'm talking about. So that's just a depiction, but they went the down. The underground city of Turkey. That's only so, one of them. And so look they at this. have houses on the surface, and they look all normal, but then it's much larger as you go underground. Hundreds of feet, and they were made to hold livestock and everything. And some of them, so there's several of these that they know about, and some of them connect by miles and miles of tunnel, Joe, underground. Some of them go hundreds of feet, and they go down to underground rivers. And it's carved out of limestone. Rivers. Yeah. So how how old do they think these things are? Well, if you look read about at, it, they'll look, say, that's oh, a couple fucking thousand. Incredible. The, look at this. They say a couple thousand years. However, something tells me that this was involved in that maybe the ancients knew about the cataclysm of you know, and that it was coming, and so they prepped. Because I'm sorry, Joe. I know a little bit about war, and you don't. If someone's invading you, you don't have time to carve out miles and miles of of bedrock tunnel. That would take. You know how many years that would take. Look at that. There's many more. Like there's several of these cities, by the way. Darren Qu is just one of the more uh, known ones, and you can do tours of it. Did you hear about that one guy? There was a guy. Oh God, I want to say it was in Italy, and he had a house, and uh, in the house. He had dug down through the ground and developed this incredible chapel, built this immense structure. And they came to his house, and uh, the authorities essentially said, listen, what are you doing? Like, we know you're doing something. Let us in, and we're going to arrest you. And he said, all right, I'll show you. It's, not, it's nothing nefarious. This is what I did. And he built this – he had this incredible art project that he had essentially had a very modest home – and then as you go into this modest home and then you go down through this passageway, he had developed what was essentially this immense, super intricate art project and by himself. He had done wow. this over the course of decades right. and made this incredible place. And it had become you know, something that was like a point of focus for the authorities where they're like, what is this? Does this guy have guns down there? Like, what is he doing? Has he got a bomb? Yeah, like, meth lab. See if you can find that. <laughs> found a couple. Oh, here's, here's the Italy one from this year, yeah. Yeah, I believe it's Italy. I found one in California, too. Oh, saying. the California one. No, hold on, no. I know about the California one. I've seen that one, too. But this, this uh, the Italy one is amazing because it's really, really beautiful. Here's a t video oh, wow. of it, I think. Oh, maybe this is it. So this took him years with modern equipment? Let's see. Yeah. Is this it? It's just a tunnel. Oh. Yeah, I don't think this is it. Because I don't think it looked like that. It looked really cool. Oh, under cool. my eyes. Uh, this was not it. Tunnel system. Oh, under that's a tunnel name. system under his house that he bought. That was a guy who found a tunnel system under his house. <laughs> so he had a house and then like he's like, what's going on, on this floorboard? <laughs> you want to hear something really fascinating? Sure. So in Egypt, people, they're finding things all the time. People are, when they're doing like renovations or on their house. So people are digging under their homes in the Cairo area and, and literally finding artifacts. Under their homes. Yes. Yeah. So listen to this. You want to guess. So there is a black market for antiquities. Now, let's just talk mummies alone. And this, you can find mainstream articles on this. How much is a mummy? Well, the, the estimated yearly black market revenue from mummies alone is between estimated two to six billion dollars a year. So let's go people with four just billion. Buying mummies? Yeah, these rich people are probably buying mummies, and because I mean, who oh, has the God. money for that? And let me tell you something else that's real interesting, because it kind of show. Like, first of all, wasn't the, just a couple years ago the UFC's total valuation was like four billion? Yeah. So let's say, all right, if they're saying estimated between two and six billion, let's just go with four. Right. That that's a year. Right. 
And just mummies. So here's something else. And I got to be careful because I'm convinced Big Pharma is running the whole earth at this point. I should be. So the Purdue family and the Sackler family, you've heard of them. They were the ones that yep. did the Oxycontin. Why don't you look just how much money they've put into Egyptian antiquities and museums around the world, including starting this is recently, a few months ago. And this goes back years, but recently they're starting a program at um, I, for, at per, I forgot what it may be Purdue University because that's by John uh, Sackler the, or Purdue John Purdue. Um, and anyways, so these people have an incredible interest in Egyptian antiquities, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I find that quite interesting that some of the richest, powerful people on earth are really into this stuff. And then they I look at- They probably got like some crazy chamber in their fucking Oxycontin bought yeah. houses oh, yeah. where they can show you mummies and shit. I mean, come on. Wait, think about it. these guys drinking their brandy. Oh, and then yeah. go back to my voice. They're drinking. Come down here and look what I purchased for $100 million. This is yeah. King Tut's brother and look you at him here. That kind of cheddar. Yeah. Bring I'm your sure. buddies over. Because, uh, dude, I looked at a house in Beverly Hills. I never actually looked at it, but I looked at it online. And, uh, you know, we're- thinking about moving to this one area of Beverly Hills, and they had this house that was for sale, and it had a dinosaur in it. The house had a dinosaur. There was a, a, a raptor. Yeah, and you could buy the dinosaur. It was a million dollars more than the house, or the, the house, and then a million dollars more, you could get the dinosaur as well. I'm not going to lie. I think that's pretty cool. It's pretty dope. Yeah. That doesn't make me feel bad. It's like, no. it makes me feel bad to own a mummy. Like That's I, gross. I'm not into owning a mummy. It's a human but I am, being. I am into owning a fucking dinosaur bone. Joe, we got a, you got like a man cave? What, what's your situation like here? No. This is my man cave. Okay. My house is a fucking, it's run by chicks. <laughs> Joe, what, okay. <laughs> my this... house is run by my wife and my daughter. <laughs> how, so you, how are you doing with that? Say. How is that? That's right. How as long as dogs? I have this, as long as I have this, uh, this studio and place where I can hang out and I just bought a comedy club. That's, oh, congrats. So this is all my stuff so i yeah. can do whatever which is a perfect balance yeah. you know because i you know i'm a moron i like <laughs> stupid shit i like ufos and and chimp heads that are made out of symbols <laughs> that's wonderful you know? the the one thing this place is missing now is a dinosaur bone we need to get something uh, in that's here. what i'm saying bro <laughs> i don't need a fucking dinosaur <laughs> need something those are Internet. so expensive yeah like that that raptor which was a a full full raptor see if you can find it jamie um Beverly Hills home for sale with dinosaur. It was fucking dope, because it was like a six foot tall like Velociraptor. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty dope, and it you know most of those things you only get like part of the skeleton is real, and a lot of it is just recreations. Like they recreate femurs and stuff that's missing. Yeah, that's it. That's the house. Sees a thirty-eight million dollars Beverly Hills mansion with a hundred and fifty million year old dinosaur fossil. Look at that. That's what I need. Look at that thing. Imagine that motherfucker chasing you. <laughs> You'd be like, fuck. I'm going to get eaten by a goddamn lizard. <laughs> I, uh, I'd i like to bring people over to show them that. Like, you wanna, hey, come back to you know, seduce people. Like, come back to my place. I'm going to show you my dinosaur. I would probably spend most of my day getting high staring at that. <laughs> I'd be touching it. It would be a problem. I would, have letter, I would lose a lot of my productivity because I would be spending so much time staring at that fucking dinosaur. I'd want to wear one of its teeth around like a necklace. No, no, no. no? You've got to keep it in the head. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Oh, that's why you buy a, ne- a second head. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, that's how like a magic key you got to make where like you put the tooth in and it opens up the vault. Right, right. Like the thing slides aside and there's yeah. an underground tunnel. Oh, yeah, I found the there. temple speaking of that. Yes. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, let me check yeah. it out. Uh, Yes, yes, this is it. 
So this guy, yeah, temples of the humankind. This is exactly it. This guy made this man in his fucking house. So his house on the outside, again, a very humble, modest home. But then you go inside of it. It is absolutely spectacular, beautiful artwork. And again, all done by this guy. I mean, I don't know how many people he had help him. It shows the house right Yeah, there. so that's the house. So look at that, normal house. You look at that house, you're like, oh, that's, you know, normal guy, normal house. Yeah, you would have no idea. But this guy built it. It took him forever. Okay, so over 15 years, and that's, of course, using modern equipment. Yeah. So that, that's something that's worth mentioning because when you look at these underground cities – that are absolutely massive, Joe, that can support, some of them are 20,000 people, 30,000 people, 50,000 people. Hold on, scroll up, Jamie, for where it says the 15-year part. It says, uh, over the next 15 years, more volunteers flocked around the globe to join the growing community of temple builders working in four hours, so as many people, working in four-hour shifts and funding their projects with small businesses to serve the local community. But since no planning permission had been granted by the government, what, are the, what is that word? Damanhurians had to keep the growing temples under wraps. See, that's what it is. It was important to build them in secret or we would never be able to build them. Italian law does not foresee this sort of underground building. <laughs> so in 1991, they had completed most of the nine chambers, murals, stained glass windows, ornate statues, vibrant mosaics, and secret doors spread throughout the secret excavation. So look at what it looks like on the surface versus what it looks like underneath. Fucking incredible, man. I, I thought this guy did it by himself, but apparently he had a lot of people working on it. But God, it's beautiful. It's spectacular. And when you go down like deeper and deeper, like it is absolutely amazing. And I think it's available to the public now. I think you could like go on a tour of it, which is really wild. Imagine like going through that house. You could pull up. Are we in the right place? Don't let... Uh Epstein, uh, 150 volunteers. Oh, 150 volunteers over a 15-year period, less than 40 years ago, directed by one now 57-year-old former insurance broker. (laughs) 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 That's a guy like you were working at Target, right? This guy really wanted to do this. He experienced visions at age 10 of doing this. He dedicated his life to building the temples after he experienced visions at age 10. Wow. In his visions... The temples were home to a highly evolved community who enjoyed an idyllic existence in which all people worked towards a common good. Look how beautiful that work is. Like the artwork's incredible. That's spectacular. God, it's so gorgeous. You know, to people listening, I just want to point out like, you know, you have the ability to look into things yourselves and think for yourselves. And when you look at these Darren Kuyu caves and there's, I'm telling you, like 50,000 people, huge, hundreds and hundreds Spell of rooms. Spell that out so people are just listening. Well, I might have D-A-R-I-N, yeah. Uh, and there's a few. It's in the Cappadocia region of Turkey. And just mm-hmm. type in Turkey underground cities, and you'll see that there's several known. And, the and again, so if this took a whole team a decade and a half to do, I want people to go and look at these caves and think for yourself if you believe that it's feasible to consider that these were done to thwart invaders. So in right. short notice, and I'm like, and how big and advanced they actually are, I'm like, the evidence is quite literally in front of us that humans were doing something special a long time ago. And do the estimate is just that this was done thousands of years ago, right? All right, so they say 3,000-year-old city, but I'm like, you can't prove that. Like, you could prove that if they found some stuff and it's 3,000, but they don't necessarily know that it's not older because, and the reason I say that, Joe, is because my gut instinct on this, you can throw it in the trash if you want, 
But that was that was to survive a cataclysm of some kind. It's too big. It was meant to have farm animals and sustain them. There was air shafts. We're talking 15, 18 levels down, Joe. And I'm like, you know, something tells me that was an arc of some kind. It was a it was a shit hit the fan um, cave. Uh, well, they have those bunkers today that the, these crazy preppers use. My buddy Duncan uh, and I did this television show a few years back, and Duncan went to visit these super preppers that had used these. I think they were like, I, th- I want to say it was like some sort of a military base this guy had purchased. God, I wish I could remember what the fuck it was. Is it but a silo? They had these, something along those lines, but it had these like enormous garage doors where you pull the cars in. They had like trailers where you, you know, you pull your trailer in. And then inside, they were essentially planning on having a sustainable environment that could keep people alive in case of like a nuclear disaster or some sort of bioweapon or some shit. That's smart. I, uh, yeah. I, People's- Doomsday bunkers. Look at these oh, that's fucking fun. things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but here's my position. I don't want to live. If the fucking world gets nuked and there's, like, just cannibals out there. Okay. Like, I hope so, the nuke hits me right in the face. You know what I think is more likely to happen? What? So the last uh, – this is outdated info, but this is before Trump had taken office. And at that time, the last five Department of Homeland Security uh, heads – all five of them said that the greatest threat facing the United States is a grid down scenario because there's a few things that could do it. It could be a hacking. It could be a solar event. Mm-hmm. And that would be absolutely catastrophic because if the power goes down for months on end, and you got to keep in mind that the United States is connected by only three grids, east, west, and Texas. And there, are, and, and so if it went down, like they don't just have these, 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 um, the, um, what do you call them? The, uh, uh, the electrical, whatever the hell you call them, but they're, they're huge. Um, and they, and they're not made to, they're made to order. They're not just like lined up in shelves. What do they call it? The big, the transformers. Right. So like if there was something like that that happened, it's potential or possible that you could have a grid down scenario for in some areas or the whole thing for months on end. And you have to think about that. If, if that happens, the city water pumps will go down once the generators run out of their fuel, this fuel tanks won't work. Like we're talking, it, that would be so apocalyptic in itself. And if that was to happen, it would be the haves and the have-nots, those who have guns and those that don't, or those that prepped, those that didn't. Yeah. And that's possible. And I wouldn't even be surprised. I want to get too crazy. But like, I mean, in our lifetimes, it's whether it's a solar flare, like another Carrington event, or or some terrible entity that wants to bring our shit down. And if they were successful it would in a short period of time days like there's this saying that humanity or society is only 3 or excuse me 9 meals away from chaos which means you know 3 days and so if you have a situation where the went, grid went down for even a couple weeks Joe, it would be it would be shit especially oh, yeah, if you for look for sure well texas yeah. almost went down last winter yeah it came real close it came within 4 minutes a wake up call yeah it was for a lot of folks. And I think that solar flares are a huge threat. And not just a huge threat to the grid, but huge threat to life on Earth. Any kind of supernova that's anywhere reasonably close to us, and we're, we're a wrap. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, Hypernovas in particular. I watched this documentary where they first started uh, observing hypernovas in um, the cosmos, and they thought that it was wars going on with with uh, civilizations in space because they were happening so frequently 
Like they were observed because, you know, obviously there's hundreds of billions of galaxies. And so they were looking out in these hundreds of billions of galaxies and they were detecting these gamma radiation bursts. And they were like, oh, my God, they're going to war. They're going to war out there in space. And then they realized, no, these are hypernovas and that these these novas essentially just wipe out entire solar systems and more. I heard. Well, I don't know what the last one was, but they had, it was described as being bright. Even during the day, you could see it. It was like essentially a flash mm-hmm. that was sustained for, I don't know if it was months, something like that. Yeah. And you just see in the sky, I'm like, and it, they said it even lit up the sky even when there was like a new moon and it was dark. Yeah. I'm like, that would be so crazy to see that. Well, what's really crazy is it happened millions and millions of years ago, and you're just seeing it now. It's like That's a time machine. Really cra- yeah, like every star that you see... When you go on a, f- a crazy clear night and you're looking at the Milky Way, you're looking at things from millions of years ago. That's yeah. what's nuts. That's yeah. really nuts. Yeah, that's the one thing. Yeah, I find that just fascinating oh to think about. Yeah, I mean, when, when they're observing the cosmos, like we were talking about the Big Bang earlier, when they're observing 13 plus billion years ago, they're essentially looking into the past at what happened 13 plus billions of years ago when they see these like stellar nurseries and they're you know they're they're using like these spectacular telescopes to look deep 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 into space they're looking at the past yeah so that's like an idea for a time machine is that if there was some way to travel vastly far distances let's say like a wormhole of some kind yeah and then you stopped and turned around and looked at earth and say you had the abilities for enhanced magnification of some kind wouldn't you technically be watching the past then if you could get if you could get ahead of it, I'm saying, if you get ahead of the speed of light somehow and then turn around and look and then you'd be seeing Earth from, say, a thousand years ago or something. You would have to, yeah, you would have to figure out a way to get instantaneously so far away that the light that comes from Earth, but if you could see that good, wouldn't be the light anymore, right? Would it? Well. I mean, I don't know. It's not my world. But if I could go back in time and see any era, I think Egypt during its prime would be the era that I would look into. Because if you look at all of what we know about ancient civilization, whatever's left, you know, whatever's intriguing, all all the amazing sites that archaeologists have explored, that's the one that's the most what the fuck. It is. I would do any, yeah, if there was one thing I could go back in time and look at, I want to see what was going on then. I want to see the construction. Because then it would answer many, many other questions. Yeah. That one thing alone would answer so many other things. Have you been in any of the Mayan structures? Uh, no. I went, I mean, just Inca stuff in Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to go down to central Mexico. I want to do that next. I want to go to Chichen Itza. And, I've been there. Yeah? Yeah, it's like pretty it? amazing. They don't let you walk up on the things anymore. I think one of the, Jake Paul or someone fucked it up. <laughs> Didn't they fuck that up? Didn't someone like? I don't know one of them. I think did. Wasn't some maybe someone filmed a music video up there or something? You want to hear something? Some pop star or something? Well, you can't climb the Great Pyramid of Giza anymore. You want to know why? It's why? F- <laughs> There's this French couple that went up there and they they fucked on top of the Great Pyramid. Nice. And they they uploaded they the did video. For everybody. Oh yeah. And there's been some other incidences too. Like someone went up there and like bra titless or whatever and like. That really upset them. But you got you can see a picture. I haven't seen the porno, but like there's you see this couple, it's like a snapshot of literally these two naked people on top of the Great Pyramid at, in them. the night sky. Yeah. Good for them. Why not? But they fucked it up for everybody else. Yeah. But um the Chichen Itza is really am- amazing. And you know, when I went to Chichen Itza, they really had no idea what happened to the Mayans. This was uh twenty years ago. But now they're reasonably sure they were wiped out by disease. Yep. They think that European settlers came 
And the, the depictions that the Europeans had of how spectacular the Mayan civilization was back then and how these guys had these gold headdresses and, you know, these incredibly sophisticated cities. And they brought in smallpox and just killed everybody. What a shame. Yeah. Well, they did that to the Native Americans. They did that to everybody. But what was really amazing about the, the sophistication of the settlements in Mexico was that, you know, they had these immense stone structures by the way, they did it to the Amazonians, too, the people that lived in the Amazon. You know, um, that was another uh, really interesting conversation that I had with Graham Hancock, where he was talking about how through the use of LIDAR, they've detected all these grids. You know, that was the basis of that movie, The Lost City of Z, you know, um, that these European explorers had gone through the Amazon and come back with these amazing stories of these incredibly sophisticated civilizations. And then when people returned 50 years later... There was no such civilization. There was no evidence whatsoever because the jungle had swallowed up all these buildings. And until recently, they thought it was just folklore and bullshit until they started using LIDAR. And this um, light-emitting radar thing that LIDAR is, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but through use of LIDAR, which is uh, non-invasive, so it doesn't destroy anything, but it gives them a graph or uh, an image of what is going on. And through that, they saw all these grids that indicated streets and irrigation and all this. So European travelers literally were genocidal by accident. They fucking killed everybody. I mean, as much as we like to talk about the genocide that European explorers um, enacted on Native Americans, which they absolutely did. They slaughtered a lot of Native Americans. There's no, it's not forgiving that. What they really killed them with is disease. Ninety percent of Native Americans were killed by disease. Yeah, it's just it's sad. It's heartbreaking to think yeah. about that. It's fucking crazy. It's crazy that a, a, a country where they're getting along with this disease. I mean, they they existed with it. They survived, and they came over on boats and gave it to people that didn't have an immunity to it. And it just burned right through the entire population. Yeah. Um, Horrific. It's, yeah. And that's what happened to the Mayans. The Mayans, you know, and that's the Mayans is not that long ago. That's, you yeah. know, they know that the Mayan civilization, you know, they were around hundreds of years ago. Yep. You know, five, six hundred years ago, they were around. Like during uh, Cabeza de Vaca, he details in his journeys across uh, North America, he details all of his trips through the, the, the like, all these various uh, Spanish um, explorers detail the Mayan civilizations. Going back to that lidar uh, study, so one of the, this is something that I just thought of is that it's so interesting that so that area that people had already that they found on with through the use of lidar had already been previously surveyed on foot, and one of the and they didn't see anything, including a seven-story tall building that was consumed by trees and lush vegetation. And it had, like I said, had already been surveyed on foot. So that's how much the Earth consumes things. Yeah. And so now they're using LIDAR from space, and they're finding shit, shit, ancient stuff all over the Sahara Desert. Whoa. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, if this place was green 5,000-plus years ago and had the largest freshwater lakes and a huge network of, of rivers, people, of course, would have been living there. Yeah. And so now they're finding random stuff all over. I'm like, I've, I've said it before. I think the Sahara Desert is the ancient jackpot. Like under that sand, they're going to find things and discoveries in our lifetime that I think are going to be probably amazing. Because I'm telling you, people would have been there. It makes sense. It makes sense if 5,000 years ago, if there was a, an advanced civilization in that area, and 5,000 years ago it was all lush and green, mm -hmm. 
What a weird thing, huh, that happens where the earth just continually shifts its climate and changes what's warm and green. That's why you look at houses in Malibu. You're like, what are you doing? You got a <laughs> right house. This is not going to last, bro. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. You're, you're, you're on the edge of the ocean. Do you, what makes you think it's going to stay there? Yeah. People need to be including these things in the topic of climate change and man-made climate change and all that because I'm like, you know, if, if the earth is going through these cycles that are, I mean, if we're, God, I mean, if we're looking at like something like, tw- 50,000 years ago, the Earth's temperature was something like 15 degrees Fahrenheit hotter. That's uh, it, been identified through the core ice samples of Antarctica. And it's like, well, if they want to say that, you know, two, three degrees Fahrenheit would be enough to screw over our civilization and, and, and well, if we're talking 15 plus degrees naturally, I want to know more about that and why it's not being included in the conversation. Well, you know, when Graham Hancock and uh, Randall Carlson in particular, when he dis- discusses this, one of the things that he says, says global warming is certainly a threat. He goes, but you know what a real threat is? Global cooling. Yeah. He was like, global cooling is way worse. He's like, global warming essentially makes more plant life. You have like, that's the thing that's going on where, where we talk about like increased CO2 in the environment. There's more green on this earth today than has ever been. It's, it's, and w- it's weird. Like you think of, well, we must be decimating the rainforest and we're killing all the... We are definitely fucking up the rainforest for sure. However, there's a lot of green and it's more of it because green lives on carbon dioxide, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And most people don't seem to... I mean, plenty of people know that, but I don't know if a lot of people do. Right. Well, it's... We're looking at it in terms of like pollution and particulates in the atmosphere, and he was saying that that's the real issue. Like pollution and particulates, that stuff's terrible, and it causes cancer, and it's making people have much shorter lives. If you look at people that live like in uh, highly dense urban environments, they generally live less long than people who live in uh, clear air, country. Like it's just, it's just by virtue of the shit you're breathing in, the environmental factor. But he said global cooling is fucking terrifying. Yeah, you can't grow ice anything. Ages. Yeah, ice ages are fucking terrifying. Yeah. That's what we really need to be worried about. Well, I think we scared people enough. Yep. Oh, hold on. One last thing. I cannot possibly leave this podcast without telling you my DMT story. Oh, you have one? I do. So uh, this is a few years ago. I made it myself, which was – so I'm an alchemist. And I've only done this twice. I bought – this is no big – this is in a different state. No one – you can't come after me. I don't have anything. Uh but uh, so the first thing I experienced is the loud ping in the side of my head, inside of my head that was unbelievably loud. And the whole room, my bedroom was vibrating. It was like, boom, boom, boom. And then I started seeing these little blobs that had like these faces and they didn't, I got like a bad vibe from them. But then what I saw is it was all the beautiful colors and it was essentially a being with big old eyes, I interpreted it as feminine, and it kept going like this with its arms, and in the middle of its body was a pyramid. Now, let me say a couple of things, because some people are like, oh, you know, he's an ancient history guy, of course you can see pyramids. No, I, I did this at the time because I was desperate for answers, and it was a, it was a spiritual thing, and you'd be, I think about all kinds of things throughout the day. I was the pyramids and ancient stuff was the furthest thing from my mind. And the only reason why I did DMT is because I couldn't figure out how to do ayahuasca and figured that was a dangerous thing to do, make myself. I got to go to Peru. Or how somewhere long else. ago was this? You this did is this? 2018. So you weren't into Egypt back then? No, I was. But, yeah. but um, 
I mean, Not more so at now. The time. Right. And this was, I mean, this is, I was literally depressed and looking for answers in my life and guidance. And I was doing it from a spiritual standpoint because mm. I felt like at that time I could benefit from my ayahuasca journey, but I wasn't available to do it. So fast forward a couple years later to last December, 2020, I'm in Egypt with Yosef Awian, the son of Akim Abdel. And I was asking him because I was saying earlier that I think that the pyramids were not built to be tombs. I think there was something functional, but I'm not exactly sure what. Could it be something for generating power? Could it be something else? I don't know. But when I've walked through the internal structure layout, it's so bizarre, Joe. Nothing about it makes sense for a tomb. It's not meant for people to be through. It is utterly weird. But so getting to the point is Yosef, I asked him, I'm like, what do you think? Because he doesn't think it was built to be a tomb for for anyone. And I said, what do you think it is? And he said his father told him. It's us. And I instantly, the first thing I thought of was like, because I could never explain. I didn't understand why I was seeing in my little DMT trip that it was a pyramid in a body and it was going like this. It was like Explain this. to people who are listening. So imagine uh, pulling, uh, folding out my two arms in front of me, palms up. Like it was showing me something. Over but, and over again it was doing that? Yes. And, and the the pyramid of all the colors was just in the middle of the body. And then when I go to Egypt, he says, it's us. And I have- What does I, he mean by us? I don't know, Joe. That's what his father told him. And I have no idea. So it makes me wonder. I'm like, is the, is the pyramid some sort of um, code in itself that it, it, the construction of it and the math and everything behind it equates to something that explains something about humanity? Or, and this is a wild idea, and it's nothing more than just an idea- but I look at the fact that across multiple continents around the world, there are different ancient civilizations that talk about us living to be hundreds and even thousands of years old. It's not just the Bible. It's the Sumerians. It's, it's uh, even Native Americans. It's, there's different cultures around the world that had said the same thing. Now, that doesn't mean that that's true. But like, what if? Because some people think that, well, you got to keep in mind that the, the Nile River was once eight miles closer to the pyramids and went right up to the steps. So, for example, when you brought up earlier with that boat that was found literally right next to the Great Pyramid, the water went up to the steps virtually. It was right there. So some people argue that water was moved through the pyramid and had something to do with oxygen. And this is why these are just wild ideas, by the way. But like, what if it was something for DNA restoration? Because if it was possible for people to live to have been thousands of years old, which I have no idea, um, but if that happened, let's say, could because it's like if these pyramids were not tombs, then what were they? If the water went right up next to them, that makes me think maybe it had something to do with generating power. And I know that sounds crazy to some people if we're talking about a stack of bricks and stones. Like, what are you talking about? But I encourage people to look at the internal structure and layout of the pyramid. You can just Google image it and look at the map. And when you walk through it, Joe, it's utterly bizarre. It's not made to be walked through. You got to keep in mind you're seeing it as it is today with these boards, these planks, just so you can walk through it. Like you go through this 300 foot long uh, shaft that's like three by three. And then when you get up to the Grand Gallery, or so-called Grand Gallery, it's the same thing. It was like smooth like a slide. But generating power, how? Is there a well, speculation? So there's a gentleman named Christopher Dunn that we saw. He was in one of the articles that was brought up earlier. He's the one that gener- uh, developed. He wrote a book about it, and it's called The Giza Power Plant. And he, he, some people have theorized it had to do with separating hydrogen from the water or something. These are wild ideas. I don't – I'm not – I can't speak to it much because it's kind of a – it's hard for me, my brain, to wrap around. I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about other mm-hmm. than that – but I can look at it and think that like, this thing is unbelievably different than any type of Egyptian burial site. For example, the, the Valley of the Kings is obviously a known place of burial. And it's w- s- 
wall to ceiling at covered all over in glyphs, paintings, beautiful stuff. All the mastabas around the, the pyramids, same thing. Every known burial site for anything the Egyptians is covered in all, wall art, and it looks like a burial site, whereas there's not one single glyph in any of the pyramids whatsoever other than the Pyramid of Unus, which has some beautiful paintings, but it's, it, it was done. This is a thing people don't mention. It's over plaster. It wasn't on the stone. So someone, it's, you see the stone, which is spectacular, and there's plaster over it, and, then, and it looks honestly, and I don't mean any disrespect, it just doesn't look at, good at all compared to the structure itself. So somebody probably did that later sure. on. Sure, yeah. That, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's worth mentioning, and I want pe- more people need to explore this. That, like, it, there's almost zero evidence to even suggest that it was a pyramid. The reason why people think it is today is because we were taught it in school at a young, impressionable age, and we weren't even explained any of the details. Never mind that there was no mummies found. That could be explainable by looting. You know, but if you if you bring up and you see the structure itself, it is so bizarre. And to me, I think it's just above us. So, so, so bizarre in the way the tunnels were created and these shafts that go up and down. And it doesn't look yes. like something that was designed for people to move through. Whatsoever. It's it's so strange, Joe. And I'm and so this guy's book, does he speculate? Does he have a good explanation? He thinks it was he, he, he posits that it is a it was a power plant. Right. But it, for what? That's a great question. Like, how did it generate power? Through water? Uh, from what I gathered, it was the running water through it, and you were able to separate the hydrogen out of the water or something to that effect. Huh. And, and do with it, I don't know, um, but yeah. that it was something. They, well, they, you know, it's all that who knows shit is like, it goes out the window when you look at what they did do. Like, you can, you can make all your like, well, who knows what they did. What, what do, well, look what they did do, though. Yep. Look what they did do. Look at this 2,300,000 pound or two two million three hundred thousand stone structure that is just pointed to perfect due north south east and west like what do they do what who are these people what do they do yeah how the fuck do they do this it's it's one of the funnest mysteries and this is the one thing i've seen like because like when i was talking earlier at the beginning of this podcast like what topics do i want to talk about these are the ones that make me most happy and i remember thinking like it's positive i'm not I'm not, uh, you know, debating abortion here. I'm debating the pyramids. And it's so funny, Joe, because it's quite a sensitive topic, whether it's Atlantis or the pyramids, even suggesting something alternative comes yeah. with so much backlash. It's quite interesting, but it's it's supposed to be fun. It's interesting. And I just can't help but think about that DMT experience that was showing me that because I'm like, when he said it's us and I don't know what that means, I'm like, I think there's something there because what I saw, I don't know. It makes me, it really made me wonder because I didn't think much about it for the couple of years after that. I told my brother about it, and he's like, well, that's interesting. And I kind of like – it's not that I forgot about it, but I was like, I don't know. I guess it's just my brain that developed some – it was just imagination. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, thanks for being here, man. Got to wrap this up. Um, yep. Tell everybody one more time. It's Bright underscore Insight on Instagram. Yep. Bright Insight on YouTube. Yep. Bright Insight, two words. My name's Jimmy, and it's all kinds of fun topics. Follow me on there. And, Joe, I have to say – Thank you very much. I couldn't have been more flattered that you invited me on. And My I have pleasure, to... dude. Thanks for being here. And thanks for putting out such interesting content. Yep. You've, you've got a lot of really cool shit on your YouTube page. One last thing. We're wrapping up. I just want to tell to anyone out there, get off the couch. Like It's surreal to me that a handful of years ago, Joe, I was on the couch, unhappy in life, and I'm watching Joe Rogan podcast. And now here I am sitting across from you. And all I did was decide, and it wasn't easy. But I made choices and changes in my life, and next thing you know, I find myself traveling to these sites, 
um, being on your podcast and other things. And I just want to tell people if there's only one message is that because in the in the short term, people are going to have to get creative to make money in the near future. I suspect people are going to people more than ever are unhappy with the direction of their lives, corporate work and all, everything else. You can make changes. You can do it too. get off the fucking couch. Thank you, Joe. Get after people. Bye, everybody. Bye now.